Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. On episode 38 of the Galen Trombley Show, I have Michael Cashman. Uh, Mike is the Plattsburgh Town Supervisor, and I was uh, fortunate to have him come on. Uh, somebody that I've actually uh, kind of looked, have been following from afar for a couple years in, in his role in our area, and it was fun to have him come into the studio and chit-chat with me about a host of different topics. Uh, we kind of talked about, obviously, his role as supervisor and his political history, uh, but we also got into some fun stuff, um, including Ireland and both of our loves of coffee, and also he he goes into and opens up about his current um, kind of endeavor that he took on or event that he took on as the flight leader of Honor Flight number 27. Um, it was cool to hear his perspective on that. So I hope everybody enjoys episode 38 of the Galen Trombley Show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Welcome to episode 38 of the Galen Trombley Show. I'm excited today for our guest. Um, I'm just going to call him Cashman, but it is Michael Cashman, who is the Plattsburgh Town Supervisor, and he graciously accepted my offer to come on the show. And Michael, welcome. Thanks for having me. Or can I, oh, Cashman, Cashman, welcome. <laughs> um, so obviously, I, I, uh, I think you gave me a little bit of a shot. Um, we were at an event the other day, and then I just asked you to come on the podcast, and you said yes. So it was very, a very quick, formal, un, informal, I guess, invitation, but I'm um, you were actually on my list at one point, so I have a list of people that I want to get to, and it's just more of I don't think I've had a chance to run into you, but here we are. We're doing it. Here we it. are, yeah. So, uh, Mike, so anybody that does not know you, give them a little background on, on kind of how you got to 2019 Cash Money Cashman. Sure. So I'll give uh, the, the, the thumbnail sketch bio. Uh, I'm originally from Massachusetts, actually. Uh, moved up to the region to attend SUNY Plattsburgh as an undergraduate. In fact, uh uh, side story, I met my wife at freshman orientation. That was kind of a, a funny little thing. She's from Long Island and had a really wonderful experience uh, as a student, both undergraduate, graduate, and then I was hired by the institution, worked there for about a decade. And um, so really the greater Plattsburgh region has been my home for nearly 20 years, actually coming up this August. And uh, a couple of years ago, um, as many people know, I'm now in the, the town supervisor's role. I was previously on the town council as a council member. And then Bernie Bassett, the former town supervisor, retired. And people were looking around, myself included, going, well, who's going to be the next town supervisor? And someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, I think you should you know, give it some thought. Um, loved my job at the college. And I said, nah, I don't, I don't really think it's for me. And that person encouraged me to talk to three of my best friends. And uh, the first person I talked to, obviously, was my wife. And I thought one of three things was going to happen. One is that she was going to either put arsenic in my coffee <laughs> um, and take out a good insurance policy. Uh, the other was she was going to move back home with her parents. Or the third was just kind of this big question mark. And it was the third. And she said, uh, no, I totally think you should do it. So um, I jumped all in. So how long have you been supervisor at this point? I'm wrapping up my fourth year. Uh, it's four-year terms, so my first term. Yep. 
Um, so this will be, you're going back into, basically your second election. Yes. Uh, Re- for this November, I'm getting prepped for a second run for my second term, which will start in 2020. So when you, when you went four years ago, you ran four years ago for the position. Correct. Okay. I didn't, and it wasn't sure if you were appointed or if, you know, Bernie had left early or something like that. So, um, how was that? Because obviously I've never run for anything, but how how is the campaigning portion of it? Because obviously local politics is way different than um, national or federal. But yeah. what, what's your experience with um, kind of politicking locally? Sure. So I had uh, previous experience because I had run for the town council. Um, but I would say that this region is very supportive of people that take the time and energy to get on their doorstep to engage with them and to listen to them. Um, my mantra for politics is you have to listen, you have to learn so you can lead. Um, and not being from the region originally, I wasn't sure how I would be received. You know, I'm not from the North country. I'm not a native, I'm a transplant. And, um, I was really appreciative of the faith that the folks gave me, um, when I became a council member. So when I ran for town supervisor, I really wanted people to understand that this was something that I would consider and and do consider a full-time job. Um, I was averaging about 39,000 steps a day um, when I was campaigning. I made it a full-time job. I went down to quarter time. Um, and then, you know, once I got elected, I left the college. Um, so the only job that I have is the Plattsburgh Town Supervisor. And I try to make it to as many public events, um, you know, doing things like this. Um, to me, it's not about myself, but it's about being able to engage with the community and continuing that opportunity to listen, to learn, um, and take those and to fold them into opportunities to lead within my uh, current role. Yeah, I see. I mean, I see you at every event, whether in person or in the paper or on Facebook or wherever it may be. Um, now, I'm assuming a lot of those events, they're probably some are mandatory that you go to, just kind of be in the face or the position of that you're in or to represent the town. Um, I'm sure a lot of them are just things that you go to for just on your own, more of you want to go to it versus have to go to it. And I'm sure it's kind of probably a cool thing to go to. I'm sure it gets repetitive in, in aspects of it, but I think a lot of it is you do get to see a lot of people in a lot of different groups and kind of see the good that the area is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, like in a normal week, how many events do you think you go to? Uh, you know, that's a really tough question only because every season kind of has different types of events and activities. Um, I average probably 65 to 70 hours a week, um, of work. You know, I go to town hall every single day, um, there by eight, usually wrap up by about five. We have our board meetings on Thursdays. So those are some extended hours. And then there's all the community events and activities. Uh, Saturdays and Sundays are also work days. Um, in your field, you know that um, to, to do your business, you need to get out there. You need to be um, accessible. Um, you know, one of my favorite things that I still do, and it's something that, you know, we all do, but it has a different flavor for it now, is my wife and I have gone food shopping together for nearly 20 years, right? You get together, you make the list, uh, you go out, and it's just a daily routine. We go to Hannaford's, it's uh, you know no uh, secret, and by the time we get to the end of the produce section, usually I'm engaging with two or three people that have come up to me and said, hey, I read this in the newspaper, or I've got this thought or feeling, or you know, what do you think about this? Can you help me out? Uh, and then by the time we get to the, you know, the frozen food, <laughs> Um, I've usually even engaged with a handful of people and I really enjoy that. Um, and Olivia 
has really kind of given me the space to do that too. Uh, there was only one time that uh, I, I really felt bad for her. Uh, last summer, actually, we went in just for ice cream. So we beelined it to the, you know, the ice cream section and she's holding in her hand and someone comes up and goes, uh, you know, Supervisor Cashman, can I ask you a couple of questions? Yep. Okay. And we just get engaged in this really great conversation. And uh, in the corner of my eye, I can see Olivia going, we have to go. The ice cream is melting. I mean, like we were in the aisle for nearly 20 or 30 minutes. Uh, it was a great conversation. Um, and I just really appreciate her patience and all of that because it becomes a family business. Yeah, and did she do a lot of campaigning with you? Um, she's the type of person that really never seeks the limelight. She's the type of person that, you know, the line is, you're the public servant, you know, I'm their part of the family member. You know, she helped with mailings and she helped, you know, drive when I was um, out hitting the streets and things like that. And she continues to go to various community events with me. Um, but I've always told her that, you know, she should never feel as though that she needs to be at the at an event or activity because she's not the person that's uh, chosen to be the you know in the in the public light. Yeah, and that's like I'm kind of in this not 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 anywhere close to you. I think you're on a different level because there's only one of you. There's only one town supervisor. But the like from a real estate perspective, I I know a lot more people now. Mm-hmm. So we talked about like going to the grocery store. Yep. Like sometimes I try to go off hours just because I know I kind of want to get, I have stuff going on and it's tough. And my wife also knows quite a bit of people, but we're in different kind of spheres a little bit. So sometimes it can be, you know, or it might just be, she just leaves me and kind of keeps going and picks me back up on the way out. But, um, part of it is I do like talking to people because it's, I like people, I like engaging with people, but do you ever find that it's a little too much at times or do you ever, do you, I mean, do you really embrace it or is there times where you're like, man, I just wish I could almost go incognito for a few, because I mean, you're obviously a, a face that people recognize now. Sure. I, I think anybody that tells you that they love their job a hundred percent of the time is just outright lying or they're disconnected from reality. Um, what I can confidently say is that I love 90% of my job. I strive for 95, um, you know, and, and I always allow for a 5% that, you know, there's always things that we just don't like doing, you know, for whatever reason. And um, I don't have any, many vices. You know, um, you and I have had some other conversations at other activities and stuff. I love coffee. You know, I drink coffee all day long. My other vice is I love to work. Uh, I really am a workaholic. When I worked at the college, um, I used to go to as many student activities and, and campus events and was really trying to be there for, you know, that to me was kind of my constituents base because I used to work with student government and to try to role model the behavior and the expectations and being involved and, um, you know, community service, it was a huge, um, pillar of my life as I grew up with my family, but also as an undergraduate and graduate student. But one of the things that I learned during my graduate program is I have a counseling degree and you have to be mindful to give yourself some of that mental space to de- to decompress, uh, to how, you know, have some wellness time. Uh, I'm not perfect. I've become more conscious of that. And every once in a while, you know, I'll take that Saturday or Sunday and just really try to unwind. Um, but I also recognize that sometimes things pop up that you just have to kind of push through and, 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 and be there no matter what the subject or the issue is. Yeah. And I think what you said before, 
I'm, I'm kind of the same. I don't, my, my two vices are probably the same as yours. It's probably coffee and, uh, and working. <laughs> and, and when you talk about, I, I like what you said, the 90% thing. Cause I say a lot to people when they ask, I'm like, I love what I do, mm-hmm. but again, it's never a hundred percent. There's always times, you know, ev- even like working here, you know, in an office setting, like I love talking to people, but there's times I stress out because I'm having a conversation with somebody that walks in yep. or another agent or someone that works here. And I got a laundry list of things I have to get done. And all of a sudden, like even before this, I had stuff I needed to get done. I didn't get it done. So now here I am going into the weekend. That stuff is like the, the very minor stuff that bothers me, but it's like the percentage stuff, but it's, um, there is stuff I don't like about the job. And part of it, sometimes I wish I could just shut everything down and just allow myself to just grind through, but it's sure. And then we talk about like, if you're in the people industry, there's people you like, people you dislike, or people you kind of have to tolerate. I, I don't have a lot of enemies, but there's times that it's like, oh man, I got this client or maybe someone's complaining about an issue that shouldn't have happened, but it does. And then, so there's always like little things like that. But I think the reason, because I work a lot too, but I find that working, luckily for me, like working is like a hobby of mine mm-hmm. and doing long hours. And even the podcast to me, there's a portion of this that is fun. There's a portion of it that's obviously work-related but I, I enjoy doing it. That's why I'm here. Yesterday was, I had a Jordan with me most of the day who's uh, works with me here. Like it was a long day. It was my first thing was at seven. I got home at eight thirty, yeah. and but that's to me it was fun. I had a blast all day long, and I yeah. met a lot of cool people. And but I think that it kind of keeps me going. And I think for you, like obviously work life balance. So one, and I think um, your wife is Olivia. You said right. Yep. And I think Olivia and Jean are probably very similar, and I'm sure she's very independent. And allows you to, you know, long hours where she doesn't, you know, complain that, hey, you're not there at night and you kind of have your space to, you know, do what you want to do. Because you're obviously in a position, too, that you're trying to probably squeeze as much out as you can as your position and out of your job description. So what do you find, I guess, with like a work-life balance between you and her and, and other stuff? You said decompressing. Because one thing I, I don't really, I don't believe I struggle with it. But I think it's a stigma with people when you work a lot that you, all you do is work and don't have. But I think what people, I don't know if you've run into this, but that when you try to tell people that you like working sixty to seventy hours a week, that they think you're crazy. Oh, I definitely get that. Yeah, you know, I would agree with you. And I think there's a certain perception uh, in reality. Uh, if the perception is that you're on all the time, people just see you as that person. You know that you're you're just grinding through it. You're you know you're you're constantly on. Um, I mean, you you kind of asked earlier, are there a lot of events that I have to be at versus the ones that I just go to? Um, there are events that I get invitations for, and I can't make it because it doesn't fit into the schedule, but so many more events I want to be at because I just enjoy it. I mean, our community has some really phenomenal things going on, and a lot of times they're in conflict with one another. And the way that I've always approached it is if I get an invitation to an event and there's another event going on at the same evening, I don't try to just go to be seen. I know there's a lot of politicians that do that, um, and you know, not to judge for them, but the way that I look at it is if I'm gonna go to something, I wanna try to go to that. I want there to be a value added um, from, from the experience, not just to be seen as a, as a face in the crowd and have the photo op and stuff. Um, that's not to say that I don't go to several events in a day or an evening, um, but I really want to make sure that there's, you know, an experience to be had from that. Um, you know, going back to 
the connection with Olivia, my wife is a veterinarian and she runs her own business. And what she does is as a veterinarian, a lot of nurses do per diem work. What she does is she goes in and works with veterinarians all over um, the North country to fill in various shifts, uh, to help run their offices for someone that may be on maternity leave, vacation, need some support. Um, and she does that all the way from here, all the way down to Glens Falls. And how that came about is a number of years ago, my stepfather was um, actually dying of brain cancer. And my mother, as his primary caregiver, is also a caregiver for my grandmother, who's in her 80s. And Olivia turned to me and said, um, you know, I'd like to do something different professionally. I think there's a, a need here, um, but I can also provide some support for your mom by kind of expanding the region and stuff like that. So sometimes we're like two ships in the night. Um, people will often ask, oh, you know, where's Olivia? And, and I'll say, oh, she, she's working. And there's a judgment factor there. Oh, well, you know, how, how come she works so much? So as two people, two professionals, um, I, I think if you're in the professional realm, there's a lot of judgment for how many hours we put in. But I think our age group, too, also um, feels the stress of all of our responsibilities, family, uh, house, mortgage, car payments, student loans, um, you know, saving for our future, whatever it is. Um, and I think our work ethic just is something that we live and breathe every day. Yeah, that's... That's what I get. I get a lot of people that think that, you know, when I get home at, I mean, in a perfect world, I have two young kids. In a perfect world, I would want to hang out with them all day long. Yep. But I, I also know that my wife stays home with both kids. So for, especially, I mean, especially now on maternity leave, um, that she'll get back into working. She does massage therapy. Um, but right now she's off not doing that. So I look at a position that I'm working to support my family and also trying to set up my future where when my kids get a little bit older, they get into school, they get into more activities. I now can take the time because I've been able to grow a business or leverage people around me that can help me out when I want to go on a trip with them or I want to take a day off to go to their school, you know, function. Um, I know that if I don't put in a lot of the effort now, I'm not going to see it on the end. And I'm, I'm very much a, an all in kind of person where I try my best to, if I'm working, I'm trying to work like my Monday through Friday. If I can cram as much into my Monday and Friday, and I know I can spend a weekend with the kids, or if I can take off a, you know, uh, Wednesday, I got done like semi early for me, which was probably like five 30, mm -hmm. but I spent five 30 to 10 30 with the kids at like a family function barbecue. And I was, I mean, I don't, I don't even think I had my phone on me. Like it was just hanging out, took the night off doing the kid thing. But I try to put everything I can into one side and and everything I can into the other. So I try to squeeze out as much as I can in that given task or, or field every single day. But there's a, I mean, like I said, there's always a negative connotation when you're like, well, you're getting home at eight, nine o'clock. And it's, I mean, I, I get it, but it's not, you know, there's no way I'm going to be able to move our family forward or get set up ourselves in the future if I just, to me, work bare minimum and kind of, you know, not put as much into it and just kind of float through. And all of a sudden I'm going to be floating through for 20, 30 years, the same level where if I'm constantly putting all this time and effort in and energy when I'm young and, and can do it and have the energy to do it, then I'm going to see the dividends down the road and the payout. But, um, yeah, there's times I'm sure if yet my wife would be like, I don't know where he is, you know, he'll, he'll be home later tonight. You know, he's off doing whatever at a function or a networking event or, you know, last night, you know, 
listing appointment that started at seven o'clock at night. Like it happens, but, um, so for you, um, so yeah, the work life balance, but <laughs> I want to go back into how did you, you, you went to Plattsburgh state, you were in counseling, you said, so I, my, my undergraduate degree is in speech communications, which is basically public relations and marketing. Okay. Um, so that was my undergraduate degree. And then I had the opportunity to stay for my graduate work. Uh, and I got a counseling degree. Yeah. So from there, did you have, I mean, you obviously got into as a town counselor, but like what, what piqued your interest to get into, I say politics, but I think at the local level, it's a lot more, like you said, kind of community involvement and volunteering than it is becoming like a career politician but how did you get the interest to get into politics sure so my family um really taught me the the lessons to 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 serve others um you know from my aunt who was um you know her faith meant a lot i spent a lot of time um at her church you know church bazaars and you know in various events and activities uh to my grandfather um who was a, a veteran and taught me you know so many life lessons in fact i lived uh in a ho- in a home where my grandmother and my grandfather lived in an in-law apartment below us um so you know that i'm the favorite grandchild uh it also is helpful that my grandmother and i share the same birthday um but you know, these individuals really um, inspired me by their example uh, to give back to others. A quick funny story. Um, when I was in high school, I ran for student body president. And I came home and my grandfather worked the night shift. And uh, I came in and I was super excited. And, and we always used to actually share a cup of coffee and Oreos uh, when I came home from school. And he goes, what are you so excited about? And I said, I'm going to run for student body president. And he goes, oh, okay. He goes, well, go upstairs and do your homework. He goes, uh, I'm going to have something for you in about a half hour or so. I said, okay. So I run upstairs and you know, start my homework. And a little while later, he, he calls for me. And I go running downstairs. And I remember as clear as day, all scattered on his kitchen table are these you know, 8 by 10 pieces of paper and they've got nickels, dimes, quarters, pennies, all like on top of them. And I'm like, oh, what is that? And, you know, like written in the center has these different slogans and it's vote Cashman. It makes sense. Vote Cashman for change. <laughs> and my grandfather had basically come up with like the first campaign strategy uh, for that election. Um, I lost. Uh, and uh, I funded a lot of kids' uh, interest in getting snacks at the school store during that campaign. Um, but that was kind of my first kind of, you know, jump into quote-unquote politics. But fast forward to uh, coming up here uh, to college, I got involved in a number of groups. Uh, I was involved in uh, a, co-ed, a co-ed service group. Um, I did actually about a thousand hours of community service, uh, in the four years that I was an undergrad. I don't say that to break my arm, pat myself on the back because everybody has hours and things that they do, right? That was just one of the things that I got really, really involved with, with lots of the nonprofit organizations. And in fact, there was a gentleman, uh, Michael Mannix, who was the executive director before, uh, John Bernardi of the United Way. Um, he befriended me as an undergraduate and he invited me to serve on what's called the allocation committee. And it's that committee that makes the determination where the dollars go from the annual drive for the United Way. 
And it was a great exposure to understand the needs and the interests um, and in the in the face of this community. And it inspired me to want to get involved, you know, even more. Um, and when I was a, a student, I had the opportunity to once again run for student body president. I ran for the student association president. Um, I won. I actually am the only person to serve twice in that capacity. Um, and what inspired me and humbled me was to know that I was going to represent, you know, about 5,000 students. And a lot of times I would be the only student in the room and that I had to work really, really hard to make sure that I was representing the students across the spectrum. And, and what I mean by that is some students would always agree with the administration. Some students would never agree with the administration. And then you had the people in the middle. And I, I, th I felt it was my responsibility to actively listen to try to provide uh, you know, a, a larger sense of what was going on on the campus as we tried to make some decisions and determination. In fact, I, I became the student body president at the same time that John Etling, who is the current president and um, we're in his remaining days as uh, president of SUNY Plattsburgh. He served for 15 years um, and we've held on to a, a unique relationship. And he and I did not always agree and he and I still don't always agree. But I learned a philosophy that I've carried forward to this day that um, you don't have to agree to agree with someone to respect them or listen to them, um, and you can still serve them too. So yeah, um, so so the student body or the SA president yep. um, that you were so that that would have ended. I mean, roughly about the age of twenty-two, right? In the college. Yep. Okay. Around that time, and then because. Maybe I'm wrong in this. From what I'm followed, I mean, obviously being a town supervisor, how, how old are you now? I'm 38. Okay. So, I mean, fairly young to have, I think, of kind of a leadership position for, I mean, mo most, I would say maybe council, you know, being kind of younger, but are you the youngest town supervisor? I, I am. Plattsburgh? And, you know, I was, I was actually surprised by that, but I was the, I'm the youngest ever elected town supervisor uh, in the town of Plattsburgh. I was elected at 34. And, um, some people believe that it's in Clinton County and, you know, you can kind of mushroom that out. But to me, I think that's, it's neat. But what inspires me more is that there was a trust by folks to say, Hey, we're going to give this person a shot. Someone that, again, that's not from the area originally. Uh, maybe he's a little young. Um, and to me, the way that I'm trying to respond is through accessible leadership. Um, I don't need to have the best idea. I have a responsibility to find the best idea or, or, or ideas and bring those to the table. Yeah. And, and on, I guess on kind of a, I'm not a big fan of like politics when it comes to, you know, the bipartisan and mm -hmm. people fighting and, and, you know, I have my views and I lean different ways in dif different categories. Like I don't think I'm ever going to find a politician that checks all the boxes. So you kind of pick the one that I think covers what you feel strongly mo or most strong about, but from like a local, um, standpoint i mean there's a lot of people that i get along with very good and i think are doing great things and i, I don't think it comes down and I, I don't know it well enough but i, I see a lot of people from a po local political is more of serving the community for like as almost like a volunteer whether you're paid or not but you're they're more 
to move a region forward versus trying to argue over certain, I guess, national kind of politics? I'm sure you have your views on the national pol- political side, but um, I, I, I'm sure you guys are very by or very um is it partisan bipartisan when you bipartisan. work together? bipartisan when you work together i'm sure there's not a again maybe i'm wrong but i'm sure a lot of you guys get to get along well enough where politics don't really kind of rear their head um i'm not sure how it votes like obviously the legislature has republican democrat and everything but i, I don't think it would be as strongly opposed as as you start going maybe down to the state level and then the federal level yeah. well I, you know going back to this and let me just ask you a really pointed question uh do you and your wife agree 100 percent of the time we're completely different yeah oh i mean in politics or just no in no life? just oh, in just, life um yeah i mean yes we always have we have arguments you know right. we, and yeah. And, and that's and that's a really natural thing. So, you know, earlier I said kind of that philosophy of, you know, you don't have to agree with somebody to serve them. And a lot of times I have constituents come in and, you know, they, they have um, a concern um, and we sit down and, we, and we're chatting and I'll say, well, do you, you know, do you agree with your kids 100% of your time, your, your spouse, your, your whatever? And they're like, no. I said, well, this is my, my promise to you, okay, is I'm, I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to listen to you. Uh, sincerely and empathetically, uh, and at the end, we may not agree, but I will do, you know, my darndest to try to find a solution for your problem or concern, or to identify some resources. And nothing's off the table until it's off the table. And I think that's what really becomes helpful here at the local level. That you know, to, for for you to kind of get involved in it. You got to wear a jersey in a sense. And there's Democrats and Republicans and conservatives and working families, and we can get on the whole list. Um, if you really start to strip away kind of my thoughts and feelings on a number of things, I consider myself to be very complex. Um, and at the local level, it goes back to the kitchen table issues. It goes back to the fact that if I make a dumb decision, and I'll own it. We all make dumb decisions. You're, you could bump into me in Hannaford's, right? And you're going to pull me aside, and you're going to give me some of your thoughts and feelings on that. As you move up into the federal level, when's the last time you ran into you know, your federal senator? When's the last time you ran into your member of Congress? Uh, it might happen from time to time, but you don't see them on a regular basis. At the local level, there is more responsibility to engage um, those folks. And some people biff it, right? Some people get into these positions and they believe their own press clippings and it's all about the title and it's all about the perceived power. Uh, folks, the power is in the people. Um, there, are, there are terms. And um, you know, to pivot just for a second, I believe in term limits too. I was going to ask you later about that, but yeah. Yeah, I believe in term limits. I, I've told people right from the start. And, and this is all the way through to the from local to federal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Same. I, absolutely. So for, for my, I believe in 10-year in term limits, okay? Um, a lot of times you hear people say, you know, in 10 years from now, we're going to achieve X, Y, and Z. It's it's been proven pretty scientifically that for things to to uh, to germinate an idea and then for it to kind of you know gain roots and you know then kind of grow and, and and see it happen usually takes about a decade okay so that's why I think ten years is appropriate um, 
I will not run for town supervisor for more than three terms. Uh, that will put me past the 10 years um, just by, by a little default, bit, yeah. by default. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't see being the Plattsburgh town supervisor as a career. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have done it, and, and I'm not here to make judgments um, of anybody that has done it on the local or state or federal level, but my personal philosophy is um, I believe that's how you stay connected with the mission more mm-hmm. of, of serving people. Well, wasn't, and again, going kind of back in history, wasn't, um, was it George Washington that was the one? He obviously said, don't get into political parties, but I think wasn't he the one too to talk about term limits and not to have career politicians? Because politics back in the day was like, you know, Farmer Jones was going to go to Washington or Philadelphia back in the day, run his however many four-year terms, you know, or even a year or two, however the term limits were back then, go back to the farm and someone else would go back. And it was more of, you're going to go serve your your constituents that are local, go do your thing, come back, and then kind of keep having change. Yeah. I always look at, you know, the fact that we have politicians that have been in for 20, 30, 40 years, and they've known nothing else. And, and don't get me wrong, they've pro- that's a lot of time. Experience matters. They, they've seen a lot. They've seen change um, within this, the landscape over decades. But at the end of the day, it's are you... You need new ideas, and I think because there is so many people that by putting someone else new in there and having the votes of, of people, the democratic system of getting people in, to me, you hear a truer representation of voices when there's different people that go in because you're picking, you're not picking the same person, but like all of a sudden, you're like, oh, we're going to keep voting the same same guy or gal in, and you know they just get absorbed in, obviously, the to me, like the lifestyle and stuff of living or in Washington or living down in, you know, New York State uh, or the Assembly or, or the Senate down there, that I think change is good. Um, you know, the fact that the president only gets two-year term or two, sorry, two terms of eight years total, and they're in theory the most powerful person in the world, but they and they have a term limit. Like I think Congress should. Uh, what do you think about um, Supreme Courts like with lifetime? Because that's another one. To, should they be on for life at that point? Sure. I mean, I think that's a little bit more complex um, because the the, the three branches um, really they're equal branches, and and the the, the design to have something that um, can really be the filter to the political process. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I that's not an area that I've I, I've given as much consideration mm-hmm. about. More so because they're not elected; they're appointed. Yeah. Um, but I do believe uh, that all elected positions should, you know, have term limits. And and the other part to it is, you know, I've I've been part of many organizations over the years where there hasn't been a formal rule on the book. But I think there's an opportunity to begin to role model that behavior, to make it an expectation. Um, I really like organizations that create pipelines too. It's different with elected because, right, the public could say, well, I don't I don't want this person to be, quote unquote, next in line. I don't think anything should be uh, defined as a guarantee. I think that's dangerous too. But I think that you have a responsibility to be encouraging the next generation you know, of leaders behind you. Um, when I first got elected, I was about 30 years to the young of the next youngest person in a lot of rooms. And I looked around and I was like, wow. I mean, the first event that I went to, someone asked me if I was interning for somebody. Um, I was just freshly shaven, uh, had a little less weight on me. 
and uh, this council, and, uh, yeah, town council, yeah, and you know, it's just like, geez, you know, and and to me, you need to have uh, a government that is multi generational. Uh, you need to have, you know, the the whole gamut of people that represent your community, uh, men and women, and, and I could go along the, 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 the laundry list, but interesting fact, it took 200 and th- over 230 years for two women, for two women to be duly elected and represented on the Plattsburgh Town Board. And it's Meg LaFave mm-hmm. and Barb Hebert. And that's just happened in the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, it, it, but it's also sad, too. Um, you know, so each, each day, uh, we have an opportunity for progress and, you know, you were talking about how things kind of change. My grandfather was kind of, uh, you know, my, uh, my Sherpa, my yogi in in life. And he had a lot of these things called puppetisms. And one of the sentiments that he always said is change is the only thing that's constant in life. You know, um, I know a lot of people look at politics and go, well, you know, the longer we have somebody in office that their seniority, you know, will be able to bring more money to the region and more of that. Yeah, but if we create an even footing for everybody, then we reset the dynamics and people get more likely the things that they need for their constituency. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. I think, um, I mean, you start going like, I, I, I have different... I have views on not electing someone into position just to fill in the void of saying like we've elected, you know, a woman or elected, you know, when Obama became the first African American or, you know, the first openly gay president or whatever, like that will happen in time. I don't like the idea that that happens just to say that it happened. Like, I don't want something like if the first openly gay, we have openly gay president, if they're the most qualified to do the job, then hundred percent I'm voting for that person. Cause to me, I don't, that doesn't, it's what are they standing for? How are they as a person? I mean, I, I, uh, like Meg is a phenomenal, uh, you know, girl. And the fact that, you know, I would vote for her all day long. Cause I think that she's hearts in the right place and she wants to come from a position of serving. I don't even, to be honest, I don't even know your political party, which I guess is, this is fine. You don't have to say it, but I mean, it's, it's the idea that like, to me, um, if I went and looked at all the local politicians that I voted for, I don't even know half. I mean, obviously I could probably look on the ballot, but a lot of them I've known personally, or I've seen them at events. And to me, it goes a long way when I can, again, at the local level, I can hear you talk at events. I can go to events and I say, okay, I agree with Mike, right? Maybe I don't know all the stuff you agree with, or we don't agree on everything, but I can see how you carry yourself and your mannerisms and how you approach a crowd of people and you're well-spoken and, it seems like you have a very good handle on what you should have a good handle on. And I find the same with like, you know, Billy, I know him a little bit at some events. I think Billy does a great job. And I think there's certain people that I, I think are in that role because they've, whether or not their politics agree with everybody, I think as long as they're coming from the right place, like you said, of serving or of, cause not everybody wants to do your job, you know, cause there's obviously pros and cons to it. But I think if you come from a position that you give a lot more than I think you take and I, I'm sure you would agree with that with most of those people. Cause even if they're getting paid a small portion, I'm, I'm sure they're not getting paid a ton to do the roles that a lot of them are doing. And a lot of it is volunteering, you know, and I, um, so I mean, I, I, what, do, what do you think on that? I mean, from a position of, I guess not necessarily financially, I don't think anybody does it financially in politics. Well, I want to, I want to go back to your statement about, um, not going kind of down through like a punch list or, or a checklist. Um, I agree. I, I don't think we should be, um, seeking out certain individuals only to fill a category 
What I do believe, though, is more people should be encouraged to run. More people should be supported to run so that their uh, qualifications uh, in the arenas of leadership, community development, um, you know, um, uh, areas of expertise, I mean, you can go down the laundry list, uh, can be reviewed by the public for consideration. And there, and I'll be very honest, women, um, Meg is a phenomenal woman, um, but over the years, women have been rather dismissed from even being encouraged to get in the arena. Yeah. So I don't think that we should just say we need to have more women in politics. We need to have more people involved in the political process and more representation. And when we and I the way that I believe we get there is by encouraging good, strong individuals to lean forward and get involved in all those different pockets. Um, you know, but but as far as the pay, um, there are different um, sectors of you know there's the public, there's the private. Um, anybody that goes into public service uh, should not be doing so with the idea that they're going to get rich. Um, it also gets to the career politicians, though. A lot of people are starting off at pretty low amounts, right? And then they're leaving office as billionaires. So yeah. that's kind of questionable. Yeah. Um, the way that I look at it, again, is this is my job. This is my um, focus right now. And actually, in fact, this is the first time in my life that I've not had a second job. And uh, even when I was working at the college, I was a council member. So there was mm -hmm. my second job. Yep. Um, there was also periods where I was more in an administrative role, but I also taught some classes before. You know, And I could go on and on and on. I think that folks need, or no need, I think there's an opportunity to make sure though that you pay individuals for what they're providing in that role. That doesn't mean that it needs to be absorbent amounts of money. Um, and people put the work in and if they don't elect them out, mm -hmm. you know, and I want to go more specifically just for one moment, because this has been a soapbox that I've been getting on for a while now. Employees or team members that work for municipalities um, or, or county governments and villages and cities, they get the short end of the stick. And you hear all kinds of stories like, well, if it's good enough for government or you know whatever it is, uh, the government attitude of being slackers, I can say confidently and look you straight in the face, I work with a phenomenal team of individuals. And every single day they go into that office at 151 Banker Road, they are trying to do better than the day before. That's not to say that they're perfect. That's not to say that they get it right every single day. But they go in with an attitude of serving the, the, the town of Plattsburgh residents and taxpayers. And I could say that for just about any other community. But often what happens, though, is we, we look at these roles and we go, oh, they're making too much and they have too many benefits. And, and, the, and the way that I put it out there is, do you want the D-Squad putting in your water infrastructure? Mm -hmm. 
Do you want the D squad to be working on your roads? Mm -hmm. Do you want the D squad to be, you know, checking the architect and the integrity of buildings that you're going to be walking into? I don't. Mm -hmm. Just like I don't want the D squad teaching kids. I, I, I don't know where the fine line of where the salary level is that, you know, breaks that tipping point. But what I do believe we need to do is to have a more honest conversation about recognizing people for the value that they add to our community and and pay them in a fashion that is equitable and and, and fair. I, and the, the one thing that I always laugh about, because I've had people say that about teachers, like, we well, guys get the summers off, must be nice. And it's like, then go in the teaching. You know, I always look at it if you're, if you're complaining about something, like if you're complaining about how much the you know, the, um, you know, say transportation department makes of the town of Plattsburgh, then go into that field. If it's something that you think that it's overpaid, well, if it or overpaid or they make too much, well, I'm sure you're not going to have a complaining if you made too much, you know what I mean? So go into that field if you want. And I, I agree the same thing. I look at our company here. Part of the reason I want to grow and, and my philosophy on, on the business is I'm trying to put a lot of money into our company or I'm trying to put a lot of effort into our company. So when we can provide a platform where people can make a very good salary because I want to attract the best agents and I want to attract the very best staff. I mean, you met Nicole before we came. I think she's the best of the best in the area, you know, and, and we're lucky to have her, but it's the same thing. I, we're, I'm trying to make the future better so when she can grow with us that there's no other place that she would want to be and she can look at it and say, I am the, you know, A squad or I am the A player and I'm, you know, taken care of accordingly. And, you know, I, I deserve what I make and I deserve the position I have and, and, um, kind of the pull in the office. When you talk about, um, you know, males and females, this office is probably 80% females. And I rely very heavily on all of them on a lot of decisions, whether they're 20 or whether they're in their fifties. And I, you know, and it's kind of funny that, you know, yesterday, I, I, well, Jordan was around with me, but she's as smart ass as it comes, but she takes me down a peg at times, you know, when I need it. So I, I do like that. But um, no, I think paying people accordingly 100% because I'm, I'm, you get what you pay for kind of sure. deal. And, but, but I, you know, as, as a business owner, I think you also recognize, right, that uh, um, there's probably always going to be someone out there, though, that's willing to pay a little bit more, mm -hmm. ma mainly because they can. Mm -hmm. Maybe they have deeper pockets. Maybe they uh, they're trying to you know build their bench. So um, and the way that I look at it is we sh we shouldn't be holding people back either, mm -hmm. right? Um, we should do our best to re recruit and retain, but we also should support people to make career decisions um, or decisions in that trajectory that will allow them to provide, you know, have upper mobility. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had a couple of people at the town that have moved on to different positions. Um, I don't question their integrity. I don't think that they're uh, any less uh, people or, you know, I, I was sad to see them, you know, move on to different things, but I was happy that they found some additional opportunities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the way, the way that I look at it is if you can create a place, a work culture that brings about the best of people. If there's a position, hopefully they become ambassadors for your organization and your company and say, Hey, that's a great place to work. Mm -hmm. You want to check that place out. Or maybe if it's right, they come back to the fold yeah. uh, too. No, I agree. I mean, if, if, if anybody ever like worked here and all of a sudden 
five, 10 years from now, they got this unbelievable opportunity. I would not in the slightest, you know, give them any crap. I would actually, like I said, try to support them as best I can. Cause I'm like, that's a great opportunity. Take it, run with it. Um, you know, and obviously if you can have a, a very amicable, uh, splitting of ways, but it's for the better. And I'm not going to, you know, have sour grapes over anybody that ever leaves yeah. the company. If they do so in a position where they're getting a better opportunity, hundred percent. Um, you talked before, or you just mentioned it about re- kind of going back a little bit. And again, this is before my time with the organization, but you talked about retaining people to the area. Um, one thing that I feel very passionate about is Adirondack Young Professionals. And I know you, I guess, were the the inaugural president of the group. I, I was. And I, so when did this organization start? And give me some background, because obviously you were there at the beginning. Yeah, so um, our, our group uh, was passed the baton. Um, there used to be uh, a group of individuals that worked on kind of a, a regional project every year. And they came up with this concept that, and I'm putting it in very simple terms, uh, there was a need for a young professionals group. And a group of us, you know, kind of took uh, the mantle um, and started to try to assemble an organization that was going to allow it to be sustainable and something that would create points of uh, activation for people to become more involved in the community and you know to be able to move forward but then turn around and provide a hand to the next people coming up behind us and because if you think about it a young professionals group right uh, is one of the hardest organizations to sustain because right they're they're having kids, they're having families, they're, you know, going from entry level positions to mid, you know, mid level, you know, to uh, business owner. I mean, they're, they're kind of the, it's the moving up the ladder kind of scenario. Um, so really the idea of the Adirondack and Professionals group was that it's an incubator group for leaders of today and tomorrow. And I had the good fortune to serve as the founding um, president of that group with a dynamic uh, cast of, of characters, I would say, um, from multiple arenas in in the in the local uh, region that just said, okay, we're going to put the sweat equity in, and we're going to try to build an organization that allows for young professionals to come together and not just be a drinking group, not be just a social group, and that's not to say that um, social portions of a young professionals group are important. But we wanted to focus on social. We wanted to focus on, um, you know, networking from the standpoint of if you're an entrepreneur, that you have an opportunity to find mentorship, that you can connect with other people to bring about business. We wanted people to um, find people that might assist them in buying their future home or starting a business and um, also the service portion of it. And it be, has become a feeder group even into the Lions Club and the Kiwanis and, and, and Rotary, um, et cetera. So the, the point of pride that I really like celebrating every year is the fact that 12 years ago, the group started the, economics, the, the economic forum. And the reason that that group started the forum was a signal to the community at large is we're not just a group of young professionals getting together to have a good time is that we want to be involved in larger conversations 
and we want to be involved from a standpoint of um, maybe we have some expertise to offer or some thoughts and opinions or we want to be seen as an opportunity or a group or a cluster or a cohort um, of peers that can be tapped for future opportunities. And that forum, I think, has been one of the, 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 the strongest means by which it's built some regional credibility by some of the elders of the community. And I don't mean, you know, from an age wise, but the, you know, those, those folks that are the mainstay people in our community that are seen as the, the movers and shakers of the community. Yeah. And I mean, you, um, you moderated it this year, which, which was, um, alternative energy was the overall title, right? Yep. Okay. Um, I mean, I remember the topic, I was trying to think of what the actual term was, but they, um, yeah, it was very well attended. We had, I mean, we had solar. Um, we had, well, the people I, I invited down from Canada, uh, Fusion. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. That there, there was a multitude of, of different places. And one guy lives off the grid and does everything kind of self-sustaining. And it's one of the most well attended. Um, I think the other, I, I missed it on Wednesday. I try to go to every single one I can. Um, they had a really big, it was kind of like their membership drive. Yep. And I know... To be honest, I've been a part of the group now for about two years, and one of the best things I've done, and not just for business-wise, because, I mean, it helps, but I have a lot, a lot of those people are my really good friends now, and we do a lot of stuff together, whether it's, you know, go golfing, have lunch, go, you know, go to events here and there, go to concerts. Like, I mean, I've had some phenomenal friends there, because one thing I try to do working a lot is I try to kind of mix my social life and, and work life. And, sure. and luckily this has been a good, a good uh, way to do it, but there are some phenomenal people in that group. And I'm such a big believer on the retaining the young professional part to me is huge. Cause I don't ever plan on really moving out of the area. The reason, well, one I'm staying in the area because of family, but I've always looked at it as if I have a skill set or if I can put in the effort and I can put in the work, how, how come I don't do that to benefit my where I grew up, my neighbors, my, whether it be older, younger, future generations, leave a footprint on the area that kind of raised me versus, Hey, I'm going to move to a big city with everybody else and keep building that city bigger and bigger and bigger, where I think there's a lot of good people in that organization. And I'm sure 12 years ago when you guys started it, the same thing where those people have now moved on to, you know, maybe 12 years ago. Now they're all, you know, maybe in the thirties and the forties. And the crew that's, you know, kind of early to late 20s or early 30s that have kind of taken the baton, I'm hoping that most of them stay in the area and that we can kind of keep building, building, building. But I try to, I'm not on the board or anything, but I try to recruit so many people to that organization. Yeah. Pretty much every person that I, I run into that even remotely would fit in, no matter what the position is, I'm like, guys, you have to go to this event. And I, and I think there's so much good to that event. And I think people get the idea that, I got to go, I have to, you know, awkwardly talk to people and I'm just like, people are going to be pitching me business cards and I don't think I've ever seen anybody pull a business card out. I think a lot of it's, you know, go unwind at the end of the day, go to a, you know, some social events to meet, meet new people and kind of expand everybody's network. But when we get a, a very strong core group of people that hopefully, like you said, can now become the movers and shakers of the future, you know, or our future next 10 to 20 years, we can leave this area better than we found it, which is my, my ultimate goal, which is why I think you and I have a lot in common. We're obviously in different, you know, different positions, but I think we're all kind of striving for the same end or North star. Uh, my, my way down future goal is to try to accumulate a position of, of maybe, you know, whether it be monetary or, or even 
um, I guess, status kind of position where I can, you know, reinvest or develop into the community. Because I would love to at some point dump a lot of money back into the community from a position where I can invest in either buildings or organizations or groups or give back to different things. And that's always been um, something I've, I think I'm striving for in the long term. Not really because I, I don't care a lot for money as a person. I'm very uh, kind of low budget. Um, but I think that the fact that I can try to leave this position better, I guess I'm kind of doing it more as like an economic level, which I think in turn and at time will be more of a service level. Um, I don't do it as much now as others do from a service perspective but i also think too with kids right now my service is you know to the little guys that are running around you know guy and girl but um what, what do you think from uh, i mean most of those people are probably still around here right that you started out with yeah i would say uh some have um you know from the overall organization have have moved on to some different things but yeah many people are hearing you know the, the adoranic young professionals group um does create that opportunity to have a cohort. Think of it this way, you know, from, I don't want to name particular businesses, but for anyone that may be listening, they may be the only young professional in that particular business. Mm -hmm. So that's why the young professionals group is so critical is it brings folks together outside of the four walls of where they go to work every single day. It provides them a social network, a support network, a professional network, um, et cetera, et cetera. And there are a number of people still to this day that I know if I picked up the phone, I know I could lean on them and, and, and vice versa. And I'm sure that you can say the same. Mm -hmm. um, young professionals, it's not just about the recruitment to get people into the jobs, but it's creating an overall experience and opportunity that people feel great about this community and i do mean this community as a region as a great place to live work play and invest and and it goes to what you're saying is investment is both of money the financial it's also the time mm -hmm. you know people may not have a lot of money right now but everybody can volunteer Everybody can volunteer. There's something that you can find a passion or interest and volunteer. And it doesn't need to be hundreds of hours. It could be a couple hours a month. And you can move the needle in this community in ways that you can't even imagine. What What do you think? I, I would love to hear this perspective from you. Um, what do you think the future of the region is? Like, I mean, have you, I'm sure you've thought about it. I'm sure you've visioned it. I'm sure you've had, um, I mean, I've, I have grand visions in my head of what the area is going to look like, especially looking right out this window. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of things I think will happen in my lifetime. But you're in a much better position, I think, and have a much better um, knowledge base based on obviously the current position. Um, what do you think, or where do you think Plattsburgh's going? Or it just like you said, regional, not just Plattsburgh, yeah. but North Country, you know, Clinton County. I think the trajectory that we are on is is very strong. Um, I think we have a lot to be very uh, optimistic about, but there's always going to be a number of challenges that are in the environment that we have to be aware of. Um, one of our biggest opportunities is the, the you know, the border relationship or the cross-border relationship with Canada. Um, so that's always a fear, you know, what, what disturbance could be there uh, from getting our Canadian neighbors to come down. I tell folks, 
you know, one of the things I enjoy most is when I'm out and about shopping myself. And if I see somebody with Canadian plates, uh, I'll often go up to them and say, hey, you know, thanks for coming down and shopping and stuff. Uh, what do you hear? And, you know, ask them why they're in the region and pick their brains. And um, I encourage people to do that because it's, an, it's a fascinating exercise to learn a little bit more about ourselves. And I have found that there are a lot of communities that kind of doubt what they have for themselves. It takes kind of that outside perspective to go, wow, you know, you have a really beautiful environment. You know, you drive by the lake every day. After a while, you can just be like, oh, that's just a lake, you know, or those are just the mountains or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I have a friend that's uh, living in Paris and she has lived all over the world at this point. And she said, no matter where you end up living, a certain portion of the population just becomes a bunch of couch sitters. They'll just sit on the couch and they'll complain about the world going by. Plattsburgh has a lot going on. Doesn't mean that we have everything that we want. No, you know, but you know, we do have arts and we do have, you know, um, some great outdoor four season activities. And, you know, one of the things when I hear from people saying I'm bored or there's not enough here, well, do one or two things. Start asking people and you might find that we do already have it or be part of the process to get it here. Um, but I think in this instant gratification model that we now live in, uh, people get frustrated that you know we don't get that store right away or we don't have that opportunity right away. It does take some time. So ultimately, I think we're 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 going in a positive direction. Um, but I'm curious. I mean, what's your what's your worldview? What's your vision for here? I mean, Plattsburgh. I'm I'm again. This is based off of part part of it is watching stuff. So watching like things with the the economic development, reading the news, kind of seeing. Um, things pop up. My my idea and what I tell a lot of people is that I think that Plattsburgh only has brighter days going forward. Um, not to say the past is bad at all, but I'm saying we're going to build and, and keep improving. The one thing I always tell people, especially because they ask about the housing market and things like that, it's like, there's not... Why do you think we've had how many hotels pop up in the last 10 years? Restaurants pop up. Uh, why do you think we've had more you know, I'm looking out here, they've had a fishing tournament all weekend. Like you have stuff that it's coming to the area that you didn't see 10 to 15 years ago. And you, you don't put a, uh, a Chick-fil-A or a Chipotle or a Hampton Inn or all these, you know, major chains in Plattsburgh. If they, they do a lot of market research to say, why would we bring something like that to this area? When you, I would be more concerned if we started seeing those businesses leaving. And I haven't seen that in many years. I mean, probably for at least 15, 20 years. Um, so the fact that I'm kind of basing my opinions off of what I see come to the area, I also am basing it off of probably putting faith in guys like you, guys like Gary Douglas, guys um, and gals that are moving the needle forward from, um, you know, kind of a regional perspective. Like I had, uh, who, I, I always forget her name, um, kind of, she's, I think the VP of economic development or the She's not next, like basically Gary's right-hand person. Sue? Is it Sue? Yes. Yeah. So Gary and Sue did, I did a North Country Connections this year. So we did it at the chamber and it's a great yeah. group of people. And they did uh, kind of an interview uh, or a panel or whatever. And they were talking about it. And the passion those two bring to the table about economic development and all the good that's coming down, there was not an, at least in the, what they had said over the hour, there was absolutely zero pessimism at all. Everything was very optimistic 
uh, the fact that Gary was like, hey, I came here 20 years ago. We've we've made it through the, you know, the closing of the base. We've made it through the closing of Wyeth. We've made it through the closing of um, a bunch of different things, you know, through the, the housing bubble. I mean, all this stuff, and we're still plugging along. And if anything, our position has now gotten stronger than it probably was before, especially at the state level, which is very important for us, maybe even federal. Um, but I think you kind of look at those people that are in those positions that, again, are their sole purpose is to better our community. And I think that like the leadership right now, I've, again, I, I'm a very limited knowledge on a lot of it. I'm not in the weeds and, and, you know, take a great deal of, you know, it's kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, but I think that the people that are in there, I feel very passionate about, and I like them as leaders. You know, I, there's not really anybody that I see that I'm like, Oh God, I can't believe that person's in there. They're doing a terrible job. And if they are, they obviously will, will get not, or they won't get reelected. So, but I think the area with people and a kind of my big model of like local matters is trying to reinvest back in. There's a reason why all the artwork in here is done by people that I personally know. There's a reason why, that. yeah, like, I mean, that photo right there, um, Hannah's uh, getting her license right now. She did that. I'm like, this is what I want to do. It's literally a map of Clinton County, which I find like you'll see a lot of stuff. It's just local things in yeah. the area. And um, there's a reason why we're in the train station building. I absolutely love this building. I love Part of it is um, metaphorical now that, you know, before I didn't have the window view, but now I have a window view that looks out at the waterfront. I've told everybody that's come in here that I can't wait to be here for my working career, that I can literally watch probably the nicest real estate in our area slowly develop. And I know that you you obviously are, um, is it the, called the causeway or what, what's the, the thing just, just south of um, the base? Oh, the jetties? Is that what it's called? The, yeah. the, um the pier kind of system that you yep. guys are building, like things like that, that can develop the waterfront. Cause I mean, we do have such a natural um, advantage over so many people with the lake and, and proximity to that, to proximity to Canada, proximity to the mountains. I mean, you take some place in middle of New York, you know, central New York, they don't have that. Maybe if you go down to, you know, maybe the finger lakes or something, if you start going, they have a little bit of water and landscape, but you're not getting the Adirondacks. You're not getting Lake Champlain. I mean, you have to go to probably Colorado before you really start touching on very similar um, geographics, maybe a little bit in the Appalachians. But, you know, we're at, you know, such a crossroads of natural landscape that, you know, I think things like that are positive. I mean, uh, the fact that we're getting, you know, the states giving money to, you know, build up different different sectors, the fact we're getting money for the city, the fact that we're getting money from the town, that we're getting, you know, people that are giving grants. Obviously, we're making some headway down in, um, down in Albany because we've gotten grants and, and um, I don't know the official term, but we've yeah. gotten money given to us to develop the area, which obviously says something. If you have the, our state capital that has faith that we're now kind of on the map, that's phenomenal. Well, if you, if you think about it, one of the, one of the hallmarks of, of business, right, is location, location, location. Well, Plattsburgh, the Adirondack Coast, Clinton County, uh, the North Country, yeah, however you want to define us, we have that. And uh, some quick, fun little facts uh, that you may not know. Uh, do you know where Wolf Road is down near Albany? Mm -hmm. yep. Okay. From exit 37, getting off of exit 37, going down to Consumer Square, and then teeing up through Smithville Boulevard, we're busier there than Wolf Road down in Albany. Right here in the North Country. We are not a slumbery little community. We have thousands of people that come here. In fact, another hotel is looking at us right now. And 
you know, we're we're bringing in people. the The college, both SUNY Plattsburgh and Clinton Community College, are are these magnets to bring you know new people into the region. Um, I've often felt that where a person chooses to live is one of the most defining decisions in their life, and. It, it, whether you're a native or a transplant, where you choose to live says a lot about your character, your drive, and, and, and where you want to be in life because it's an investment in yourself, but it's also an investment in your community. And those investments that are occurring here right now are of historic proportions. I mean, I don't want to go down through the entire laundry list, but Norse Titanium, $125 million, the $38 million for the Plattsburgh International Airport, you know, the money for the, the um, Advanced Manufacturing Institute over Clinton Community College, the DRI funds, I, mean, I can go on and on and on. But the point that I want to drive further, though, which I find fascinating, and it's a story that's not told as much, and it really needs to be, is we are seeing a number of companies change hands and continue their legacy like Claire and Curls. You know, they just changed hands uh, a year or two ago. Uh, you're seeing multiple generations of families, you know, um, share their businesses, expand. Uh, the other one is uh, Northeast Printing. Um, you know, they do tons of work, you know, including one of the best publications in the region, Strictly Business, celebrating the stories of what goes on behind the doors that people don't even realize. But, you know, Mike Carpenter and Betsy Vincencio's involvement with the MHAB project, you know, we have our challenges like the opioid epidemic. It's it's ravaging communities across the country. But I argue that we have people like them that are helping to bring about solutions for the challenges and finding opportunities to bring people into the workforce, uh, Connie Willie and, and, and a number of other folks. I mean, so even when we have to face the challenges, I'm comforted by the best resource that we have here are the people themselves. And, you know, I came on the heels of the ice storm and I heard how people opened up their homes and fed one another and kept people warm and, you know, helped people get out of their driveways and, you know, all this number of stuff. And I have seen time and time again since I've been here how people use the resolve of their best interests for their neighbors and their friends and their family in this community to get things done. It's amazing. It's very inspiring. Yeah. And that, that that's one of my, my, from like a business perspective, um, again, the the idea that you know I try to to pump as much money back into that we can back into everybody else in the community. I'd rather I'd rather have economics just change hands amongst neighbors than leave and, and or obviously if we can bring money in that's great from outsiders. Sure. But it's the idea that you know I want to be able to support my local whomever that I can get that I know lives down the road or that's part of the reason why I kind of joke, but like I gave you a t-shirt. I'm not, I mean, I'm wearing a plain t-shirt right now, but I've started to wear more local t-shirts. I got buddies that give me t-shirts yeah. of like their, their company, you know, and, and I'll wear it around, especially if I'm going to an event that I know like I'm a parade or something, I'm going to throw my, you know, Adams brothers painting on or my, you know, sparkle clean or, you know, anybody that gives me a shirt, my Boyer banner shirt, like I'm going to rock those out because yeah. I want people to see and, and support a local person that I know the face behind personally. And I think part of that is in why our slogan is local matters. Like to me, 
the fact, the fact that we can get so many people, if we we can, all rowing in the same direction and working towards the same North Star, which hopefully, like the way I look at it is, hopefully I live to 150 years old with modern technology. But at the end of the day, at some point, I'm going to I'm gonna check out, you know, and I just hope that I can leave a footprint on that my kids, who hopefully can live to 200 at that point, will be able to enjoy and move the needle forward that way. And that's something that I've really thought about more and gotten passionate about over the last couple of years when I finally kind of, I think, grew up a little bit and kind of got to the point of like, there's something bigger than just yourself. And there's a way to, you know, hopefully give back to the community the best you can. I try to, you know, give much as much as I can, either it be time or help or someone calls me with a, even just the smallest issue is to take the time to help them and take the time to give back. And I always get, and I, th- I think it's, I mean, it's obviously known that people that give the most, I, th- I get more more satisfaction on just helping someone out than I get on, you know, if something comes to me, I almost feel obligated to over deliver back to somebody if they gave something to me, like return a favor tenfold because I don't want to owe somebody something. And I think part of that is just, and I, th- I'm, I guarantee you're the same. I don't know this for a fact, but I guarantee you that you would much rather give your time, energy, happiness to somebody if you knew it was going to make their position, their, you know, whether it be life, happiness, better, that you would do it in a heartbeat. Absolutely. So uh, the other really uh, kind of defining person in my life was my aunt. Uh, she lived to 103. Okay. Love it. <laughs> she lived to 103. And she had her complete faculties, okay, until uh, about a couple of weeks before her passing. And she was reading on average, I think, like 12 or 15 books a week. She had never, uh, nothing more than uh, about a fifth grade education. And she had this saying, and I I mean, so I could be spending um, the night at my grandmother's house. She lived with my grandmother and my father. And I'd wake up in the morning, I'd be rubbing the crust out of my eyes, and I'd go in to say good morning. And she'd be like, "Uh, what have you learned? And I'm like, you know, when I was younger, I was like, what? And she's like, what have you learned? And it was the first time that you met her. The first thing out of her mouth would be, what did you learn? Or what have you learned today? And as I got older, I began to understand her general sentiments because she was a scholar of the conversation. She was a scholar of wanting to absorb as much information. And every minute that she was awake and breathing, she understood that there was an opportunity to be educated by her surroundings. And with that, though, she also felt a, a great sense to give back. And like I said, she was very involved in her church. And, you know, she would do youth groups and she would do study groups and she would do, you know, a, a number of things. And she always felt like, you know, I may not be the smartest person in the sense of, you know, having advanced degrees, but I have something to contribute based upon what I've learned. And if you can help other people learn, uh, not not profess to them, not teach down to them, but provide the general sentiment of we're all linked together, that's a really powerful concept. I mean, right now, um, you're dropping all kinds of wisdom on me that I'm beyond appreciative, you know, because through these exchanges, I think we need to all take moments to reflect too. You know, we kind of float through the world. We do our thing. uh, Our days are super busy, but how often are we taking five minutes to just go, okay, 
What did I learn today? And how am I going to use it? How's it going to better me? But more importantly, how's it going to better my family? How's it going to better my neighborhood, my community? Um, everybody has an opportunity to provide something for the community. Yeah. And, and it's the one thing I love that you just said about always getting better. One of my absolute favorite hobbies, and I think I've had this since I was a kid and didn't really know it. And now I'm a little more aware of it is I love to learn and I love to, I love gaining knowledge. It could be on a simple thing. I kind of, I know quite a bit about that. I want to get even better at like the fine details could be something general knowledge. I don't really know about. I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't, I, I try to read every day, but I'm always, if I watch something, most likely it's something on YouTube to learn something. And I find that, um, I, I get so much excitement out of just learning new things. And it was kind of when you're a kid in school, you don't, you know, a lot of kids don't like school. They don't like sitting there. And, and again, I, you know, that's, that's kind of for another time, but just sitting there learning, like, I don't like sitting there learning about a topic I don't care to learn about, but if I have a passion about something, I'm going to run with it. And that's the reason why I think, like you said, you have a passion of your, in your current day-to-day position of helping people, of trying to make the area better. You have a passion for that. That's why you work 60, 70 hours a week. That's why I probably put in very, probably 60, 70 hours a week into this company because I, my grander vision is beyond this company, but I'm putting in the time because I have a passion for improving this is, and that's kind of a fun thing for me. And, and, um, you know, you take, like you said, your, your aunt who was reading and learning stuff. And I, I love my kids are probably going to hate me cause I'm going to be probably doing the same thing. But anytime I see a, a young kid, I always ask them, especially if it's during, you know, school season, I'm like, Hey, how was school today? First question, how was school? Yeah. Fine. They always say fine. Well, what did you learn today? I always ask them that. I don't know. I said, well, what was the most fun thing you did in school today? Um, I went to gym. So what would you do in gym? And I try to get them to open up a little yeah. bit, but I think part of it is they're ne- never going to remember that conversation. But it's it's one of those where I try to get a kid who's younger to think a little bit and to kind of, one, to speak to an adult or speak to you know somebody if, and also get them to think a little bit and say, well, like I went to, you know, I, or I, we, I don't know, we had a math test. Okay. How'd you do on the math test? Um, I thought I did pretty good. Oh, that's awesome. What was the, what was the challenge that you overcame or, you know, whatever the question might be, but I like to see it when either a kid clicks or they kind of get a little smile and they can, yeah. you know, and I, and I think from especially a young perspective, if I can, and I'm not wiser, I'm not that, you know, I'm still young in my, my life standpoint, but if I can look at a kid and kind of say, I remember when I was eight, nine, 10, let me get this kid kind of thinking to maybe take more appreciation for the day to day. And kind of like you said, what did I learn today? But to sit back and kind of say like, maybe have a little pride of, oh yeah, I, I actually did well on that test. Hey, uh, you know, I did study for that test. And I try to, I do that with a lot of people, even even peers. Like I, I always try to get people to look at the optimistic, you know, exciting thing. And when I have a bad day, I, I'm always looking for like that light, that light at the end of the tunnel or the one and there's a ton of days where it's just like I, I find that things aren't going my way and I just want to rant and, you know, there's times you just want to like, you know, block everything out or just give up. And I'm like, you know what? No, I'm going to I'm going to just try harder. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to find the solution. And I try to do that with other people if they're having a bad day. Well, it can't be that bad. What, what we, And I try to hopefully get people to see the positive because I'm a very positive person. I try to be. And you talk about like people working towards a, a goal or, or like you said, improving their day to day, you know, a positive attitude is a powerful, 
powerful tool or tool and, and uh it's very tough to get someone down it's very tough to knock someone da- down a peg when they have such a a positive um perspective and and attitude that is something i look at it in my career which is I've been able to grow quite a bit professionally and as a person and and network of people, but I think I'm doing it because people gravitate a little bit more towards me because I, I exude more positive energy than try to take away from people. I try to, I try to, I try to put a smile on people's face if I can, and it might be at the, my own expense or my own joke, but I, again, I I like it. I I like kind of being the, uh, if I can make the situation better at any point, whether, like I said, it makes me looking like an idiot or whatever, I'll do it. You know, and attitude is a huge is a huge portion of it, though. Um, you know, the joke is people often ask me, you know, throughout the day, hey, like we all do, right? Hey, how you doing? Uh, and my my response pretty much always is live in the dream. Mm-hmm. And you know, people, it's been kind of a joke around the office because I do rounds with all my department heads. Um, I'm dyslexic. And I much rather have a conversation than to write emails. Um, I, I, I like the the response. I like the the organic nature of it. Um, but anyways, when when I say you know live in the dream, even when I'm having a bad day, um, and and this is kind of the the little asterisk to that statement is you know even when you're having a bad day, um, I can confidently say that because nightmares are dreams too. But I want to project. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I want to project, right? (laughs) That the idea is the positive part of it. And, um, you know, and and that's not to say that you shouldn't have moments where you are frustrated and angry and sad. And, um, you know, it's, it's okay to have those moments. And I think, um, growth and pain, um, are some of those things on how we, you know, evolve as human beings. Um, but there are a lot of people out there that are just energy suckers, right? Mm-hmm. That you're just around them. And you're by the end of the conversation, you're like, Oh my, Oh my, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, and Aaron Benner is one of those people for me that exudes such a positive energy. Um, and you know, Aaron to me is kind of like, I call him my weather vane. In the sense that he is the type of person that I think he is a phenomenal father. Yeah. I think he is a phenomenal yeah. entrepreneur and just he's, he's the real deal. And he and I are, um, we've said, you know, brothers from another mother in the sense that we're both Capricorns and we're born one day apart. Wait, when's your birthday? Uh, mine's December 26th. And Aaron's December 27th? Yep. I'm December 24th. Uh, well, welcome to the fold, my That's friend. It. <laughs> That's it. And um, so, you know, we and we have this just really, really unique bond. And but, um, you know, he his energy level is a lot higher than mine. And I don't say that from a bad thing, but I've never walked away from Aaron feeling down or bad. And everybody needs to have some of those people in their life. Mm-hmm. And what I try to offer hopefully for Aaron and I'm not trying to tell tales out of school uh, is I've told him is if he ever needs somebody to, to bend an ear, I hope that he would turn to me, you know, and I think that's what you have to do for one another um, for your friends and your family is provide the invitation to be there for one another. Yeah. I, I uh, my Aaron stories now 
Aaron at this point has become a very good friend of mine. Um, and I ran into him and we, we've talked about it. I, I have a little bit of, and people wouldn't notice, and I've talked about this before. I, I've always had social anxiety in, in large groups and stuff, but I've, it's something that I've worked to get over and I've done a good job at it, but I was a split second decision. I almost talked my way out of never talking to Aaron at, it was to put it back about giving back. I was at a career fair. There's no reason I need to be at a career fair for junior high kids, but I sort of thing, give back and give to the kids. I was like, I was in my head. Do I, we were kind of on like a little break between classes. Do I go talk to Aaron? Do I not? Do I talk to Aaron? And I, it was more for like marketing and long story short, had I not talked to him at that time, I don't think things would have worked out the way they have. Now, obviously he's the landlord of the building that I'm in, but he and I was on uh, Ryan Lee's podcast, and Ryan always asked the question: If you had to have a board of directors, three board of directors for your life, who would they be? Aaron would probably be number one if I had to pick. If I had to have a, a board of directors of one person, it would be Aaron. And I'm, I'm very lucky that I can pretty much call him at any time, and he's gonna. Well, if he doesn't pick up, he'll call me back, and, <laughs> and um, he'll be there for me for as a sounding board or as a you know a thought or or just hey I need a I need reassurance. And I meet with him. We have a monthly meeting once a month. Obviously, that has to do with we do talk about the marketing of the company and stuff like that. But that two hours is never two hours, and as as you know, that always will go long, never short. And but a lot of it is just above and beyond business. It's it's. We've talked about life. We talk about family. We talk about a lot of it is the area, the growth of the area. And like you said, uh, a weather van. I would, I would say he's kind of like the William Wallace of the North Country, just running <laughs> with the running with the spirit at the begin yeah. at the at, at the front of the line as we're all chasing this grand grander um, vision for the area. And that guy, I mean, his, his level of optimism is, is a thousand percent. You know, I mean, he, he's he's on another planet when it comes to that. But he is so passionate about the North Country that if you think the North country is the worst place to live, have a conversation with Aaron Benner and you will be a believer at the end of that conversation. Cause I, if we had, like I said, a whole group of, I mean, one, if we had a whole group of Aaron Benners, we, we better, you know, we got to get some extra seat belts and some helmets <laughs> and stuff. But man, it, you know, I, I think if, if he, you know, if you have him on your side and, and working towards a cause you have, you have the right energy. Um, God, yeah, that guy, that guy is, you know, top notch through and through. And, um, from a sounding board perspective, like you said, I try to, for me, align myself with, you talked about like energy suckers. I try to cut those people out of my life. And I've yeah. gotten to the point over the last handful, I'd say probably five years, four or five years, I've really tried to limit anybody that I think is not going to be a positive influence on my life. And the other thing too, is now that I have a family, I value my time way more than I did before because if I'm not doing something, I don't want to waste time because that's time away that I'm not moving the needle forward for our family or spending time with my kids or my wife. And, you know, just so if I'm wasting time with people that aren't, you know, improving my life, then I selfishly don't want them in my life. And, and, um, or I want the, the good people in my life. You know, I want to try to absolutely try to bring them on. Um, my, one thing I kind of wanted to ask you about because I have I have a few topics here that I want to get through. Sure. Um, what, which I think is very cool, and I know you've mentioned it before. What were you appointed to at the at the state level? I know you were. It was was it service something of service? Yes. What's so, the what's the title of it, and what's the, what is your role in that? Yeah. So, um, Governor Cuomo um, appointed me 
to basically the Commission on National um, Community Service and Volunteerism. Um, there's a, there's like a statewide commission. And that commission's primary responsibility is to uh, promote, engage, and to uh, put forth an agenda that activates citizens in the arena of volunteerism. Um, in particular, through VISTA and AmeriCorps. Uh, it facilitates those programs for, for you know throughout the state. And the commission... Um, you know, has some uh, responsibilities for overseeing, you know, the, the, the budget process and the application process for the AmeriCorps programs, but overall just promoting um, a more active citizenry uh, throughout New York State in the arenas of volunteerism. Uh, it's a volunteer job. Um, you know, we meet, um, you know, a couple handfuls of times throughout the year, conference calls, meetings, etc. Um, and I'm for me, um, it really was um, a very humbling appointment. Uh, a when you know a, a governor of of your state, um, well, much less New York State. Yes, yeah. you know, taps uh, you for something. But I became aware of this commission actually when I was working at the college. So I used to run the the, the volunteer clearinghouse called Project Help. And um, a little shout out to the, the college students who sometimes don't get enough credit. Um, you know, I often would call them campus college citizens because you have to understand that an academic year is 15 weeks in the fall and 15 weeks in the spring. And we had over 1,400 students formally registered in that program. And so it was approximately maybe one out of every four, one out of every five. And they would do upwards of 25 to 30,000 hours of community service in our region. What's even more impressive though, first week and the last week, um, you know, finals week and that 15 week is usually a melt away. The first week is, you know, starting up. Then you've got um, in, the, in the fall, Thanksgiving, in the spring, spring break. So really you're talking about 12 weeks in the fall and 12 weeks in the spring. And these students are committing thousands of hours right here in our region to all these nonprofit organizations committing themselves to again helping that dial move forward and when i was the assistant director for the center for student involvement i became aware of this commission and how they continue to try to promote uh, this area um, i was very thankful to now be involved statewide in promoting it. You know, I, I believe that we should be adopting a national service model. I think every person should either go into the military or should commit to some type of national service um, at some point in their life, you know, starting around the age of 18. Um, I think that would help our youth mature a little bit more, get them um, a wide and vast level of experience, both personally and professionally. And I think it would lift up our country immensely as well. Yeah. It's, and and um, like you said, I think, I think getting tapped for anything, especially New York state, because it's not, I mean, not, not to, uh, to look down in any other States, but New York state's one of the big ones. You know what I mean? You have, and I think from a national perspective, it's a state where a lot of, you know, obviously economics travel through a lot of, you know, whether it be uh, social, economic, um, 
a lot of things go through New York, go through California. I'm sure, obviously, you know, Texas and Florida, and you got some bigger states in between. But, um, no, I thought that was cool because I'd heard about, like, when you obviously got it. And I knew, you know, I knew a little bit about what you did and stuff. And I figured anytime you get tapped to go up, because at, at that point, you're going beyond you know, the, the borders of our, our county or, you know, or for you, Plat, the town of Plattsburgh. Um, the, now, have you ever thought about, you know, carrying on? You said, you know, you stopped, what, three terms of as supervisor. Have you thought about bigger aspirations after about, hey, I want to I want to move on to run for whether it be the state level, whether it be for, I mean, I'm, I'm sure the next stepping stone would be some type of state involvement i don't think or would you go with i mean i guess you could do federal because i'll be i'll be very very blunt and very direct and anybody can take this sound clip and and uh, run it as a commercial i will never never run for congress <laughs> or uh federal senate okay you know, i i just excuse me i have no interest in going down to dc and being in the meat grinder um Largely because it's become such a process where all people are doing is fundraising. You know, it's so divisive. It's so us versus them. Mm -hmm. You know, I believe in a model of you need to have communication, collaboration, and compromise. And I feel like those three things are missing in government right now. Um, I think they've been missing in government for a long time. Um, so right now, I, again, I'm, I'm loving 90% of my job. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm rolling up my sleeves. We're doing some great projects. That's where my focus is right now. Um, I, I, I've always believed that the, at the local level, you can make such, you can move the needle so much or so much more, uh, well, either speed wise or just the overall impact at the local level than you can at a federal or state level. Things just move too slow there. I think things can move faster here. And, and also you have a way better pulse when you, like you said, you go to the grocery store and can see everybody, you know, people by names, you know, business people by names, you know, the teachers by names, you know, the other leaders of different organizations by names. And you know exactly when they refer to something, you're like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've been there. I've drove by it. I've walked past it, whatever. Um, and that, that's something that I, I, I'm sure you agree with that, right? Yeah. Go government works at glacial speed, though. I mean, it, it, it's designed uh, almost like a cruise ship, okay? It's so big that it's almost designed so it's hard to make hard left or right turns, mm -hmm. right? Um, even at the local level, a lot of people will come in and they have a concern or a complaint and it may be a law or a rule or a policy or something that's been designed by the county, the state, the federal government. Um, and because there's a high level of access to us locally, you know, we're the first point of entry, but we may not be the ones to actually be able to, to, to push the dial as quickly. We become advocates uh, with folks. But that policy or procedure is really kind of higher up in the, you know, the food chain of government. Um, so I think we need to work more um, creatively to find solutions. The other thing I wanted to ask you, because I and I think you posted about this today or was it yesterday on your, on your Instagram? What, an, an, uh, an, I guess an event or organization that I've done some fundraising for or I've donated to or whatever, because mm -hmm. I believe in it, but. Uh, was the honor flight and I for one and this is again it's kind of like a, a local you know bucket list I've never been to the send-off and anybody that's ever gone has told me 
you're missing out because it is is a powerful event and powerful um, time. But you just and, and again, I want to make sure I have this correct and, and correct me if I'm wrong. You were in this current flight. You were the flight leader going down to Washington. And I, I guess tell me the story about that and your experience with the honor flight. Sure. Um, how do I want to approach this? Um, so I, I guess I want to start just very quickly. Is I, you know, I had spoken about my grandfather as a veteran. You know, he's no longer with us, but he was uh, during the Korean uh, era, and he taught me a lot of those life lessons, uh, and also what it means to. Um, value service and, 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 and patriotism and, and, and love of country. And, you know, he was just such a, a you know, a, a strong mentor, uh, to me and my sister-in-law a number of years ago, um, she signed up to, um, be a Marine and they say once a Marine, always a Marine. And, uh, she's gotten out since, um, but I've always been very appreciative of those people that have selected or, um, or drafted to, to serve our country. And as the town supervisor, I've had many opportunities to be involved with Honor Flight um, to support it as an elected official. But the way that I've looked at it for me is Honor Flight is, is really in the personal realm of things. You know, it's great to be able to go to events as the town supervisor, but if, if there is a single program, a single organization locally in our community that truly is very personal again from my grandfather to my sister-in-law it's honor flight and for those of your listeners that may not know is honor flight was a program that was established to get war war ii veterans the greatest generation down to dc to see the monuments built in their honor because it was the la- really the la- one of the last monuments built okay and North Country Honor Flight has, um, over the course of its program, now sent over 400 veterans down to D.C. And they send, um, now they're they're doing uh, World War II veterans, they're doing uh, Korean veterans, they're doing, you know, um, uh, Vietnam. Vietnam veterans, and they've expanded that. And for Flight 27, so not this last flight, but the flight before, um, Barry Finnegan, who's the executive director, uh, invited me to lunch over uh, uh, Michigan. And uh, he said, you know, listen, I know that you're really passionate about Honor Flight. Um, would you consider being an assistant flight leader? And he and I had a, had a really great conversation. And I said, you know, Barry, I'd, I would love to. Um, so I had an opportunity to be an assistant flight leader. And the way that the process works is... As an assistant flight leader, you go and participate, and then you serve as the flight leader for the next flight. Okay. okay. Yep. So I was assistant flight leader for flight 26, and then for flight 27, I was the flight leader. And you, I mean, I, I'm trying not to get emotional about it because it, it still gives a rise of the hair on the back of my neck. Um, it was an honor and a privilege of a lifetime. I mean, um, so we sent down on flight 27, 15 veterans. We had one gentleman who was 101. And then we had, you know, some of the younger veterans, you know, Vietnam veteran, but every single one of those folks, just their dedication and their passion and, and how humble they are. 
I mean, not a single one of them didn't say, I'm not a hero. And it's like, yes, you are. Yes, you are. They are they are our truest hometown mm-hmm. heroes. And one of the most truly humbling experiences that a flight leader gets and the honor comes from you do often a home visit. Okay. Sometimes we meet somewhere else for a cup of coffee. And, you know, these folks would often take, bring out shoe boxes and it would be photos of when they were in service and, and, you know, and sometimes they would take out their medals and they would, they would tell you stories. And often many times they're, they're, husbands and wives and kids and and folks would be around the table and they'd never heard the stories before Mm -hmm. and it's like to be part of opening that up was just i I really don't know how to put it into terms so we went down to dc it was it was a great day um a great experience and um north country honor flight I argue is has become kind of like a fraternal organization within itself. You know, all the veterans get hats and jackets and you know, there there's a lot of traditions that go along with this and flight 27 will be a cohort of family within a larger family. And I've stayed in touch with, with many of the veterans and uh, many more will be hearing from me soon because uh, they get some other special things coming up for them. And I just feel so blessed to have, been extended the opportunity to have that relationship with them how does um because one thing i've always wanted to do and i've, I've heard I'm, it, it can be tough because of you know a lot of them go down with family and things like that but everybody has like a what they call it, chaperone or whatever yeah like how would you become one of those so th- they're called guardians, guardians and, yeah. and the way that it works is um so say we have a veteran that has a son or a daughter that individual could serve as their guardian but we actually have a number of veterans that don't have anybody and we're in need of people to volunteer to be a guardian. The guardians pay um, a nominal fee and that's to support the program because the guardians also get the jackets and the hats and you know some of the, the stuff that kind of makes the program move mm-hmm. and we have to pay for the tickets down to DC but anybody can sign up to be a guardian by putting in an application uh, go to the North Country Honor Flight uh, website or Facebook page. You can learn more information. Um, but I would encourage any one of your listeners to go on there and to become familiarized with the program so that you can be scouting ambassadors for us to make sure that we encourage our veterans to get on these flights. And, you know, I hate to say this, but we don't have many more war many more World War II veterans that we can tap for these flights. And we want to make sure that we get them. We want to make sure that we're honoring all of these folks. Um, you know, I'm, I'm dragging you to the next send-off. So it, yeah, that, that, no, I'd like to go. I mean, I'd like to do, I've even thought about doing like the Guardian thing at some point. I mean, yep. I'd probably want to go see the event just to kind of get more appreciation yep. for it. But um, I've never, I was not in the military. I don't really i mean i have some cousins that are, are in the military they're my age i mean they, they're in the military in some aspect um but obvious i mean the amount i mean they they say it's the ultimate sacrifice you know to go to war and and, and again i wish there was not war but it, it we're human there's going to be conflict there's going to be but i think the people that can say 
And this goes all the way back to the Revolutionary War. Like mm -hmm. I'm going to put my, basically my most valuable thing I have, my life on the line to protect other people. Um, part of it is I, I would like to say that, or I'd like to think that I could do that, but I never was in that position to do it or never, you know, chose that, that path. But the people that are willing to do that, it's like, man, like you're better than I am, you know? And I always looked at it like, you know, could I have done the same thing? I, I probably could have, I put my mind, you know, kind of committed to it. But mm -hmm. the people that, especially man, back in, you know, world war two, I think like you, you had mentioned the, the people that were in world war two are very old at this point, obviously. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not a, you know, do the math, but it's, it's almost, you get into the point where seeing them is like seeing a, to me, seeing a celebrity, it's like, my that guy's in, was in world war two, which is absolutely mind blowing to me that, um, and I always find that somebody at that, cause most of those guys have to be mid nineties to early hundreds that are still alive. Um, it's so cool that those, um, you know, I would love, like, I would love to sit down with someone that was a world war two vet, but I know a lot of them are very, you know, like you talked about the stories and they talked about for the first time, their families have heard about it for the first time. A lot of them don't discuss that kind of stuff. It was like, they went in. They did their service very humbly. They, they're not going to brag about it. They're not going to say, I went to here, there, or this, and did this or that. Um, a lot of those guys, you know, they have a, like a fraternity amongst, you know, their fellow soldiers at the time. But, you know, and I think a lot of people that you go into the military now, you, you like someone says, thank you for the, your service. A lot of them kind of just kind of shy away and say, well, it's not a big deal. But it's like, it's, you know, it's anything but not a big deal, you know, and um, no, I would love to go to one of those events. I just think that, and I, I talked to someone the other day that was part of the, the motorcade that, you know, and I, I would love to go see just the, the whole send off. Cause I think, I mean, it's, to me, it's such a cool, rewarding experience for the veterans. And mm -hmm. like I said, as a guardian, I, I would be, you know, I think that would be so cool to go down and just experience it with them. Not, I mean, obviously it, it'd be cool to go down to DC and do the thing, but it, it'd be fun to or I think kind of eye-opening to, especially, you know, some of those some of those guys that are well well up in age, you know, getting them to experience something they probably have never seen before that was dedicated to something that was probably a huge part of their life, even though it was many years ago. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's phenomenal. When I, I saw the post, I had read through it, and, and I didn't know what a flight leader was, but you kind of went into it a little bit, and I know obviously it's, you know, before talking with you, I knew it was a big deal, so I just wanted to kind of, hear your perspective on it. Part of it is because I'm curious about the group. I've done um, events that have donated money to it. I've given money to it um, and supported the cause because I obviously, you know, feel strongly about the, the organization, but I've never seen it firsthand. So that's why, do you know when the next one is? I, I don't have to, the, the, the recall of the next date isn't coming to my mind, but I, I'll guarantee you one is uh, the dates are on the website. Uh, they're always on the website. But um, if you go to a send off, you're going to keep coming back. Um, and one of the, one of the special things that occurs is, um, we do an introduction of the veterans and they have a small bio that's right about them. So it gives you a window into their lives and it, it's just, it's really a spectacular moment to honor and celebrate them. And just to realize, uh, how much, these folks in, in, in our in our greater region have given. You know, as we're sitting here and I'm looking at uh, Lake Champlain through the windows, I'm reminded of the fact that 
we live in a, a very historical area. We often think about the Battle of Plattsburgh as kind of like that signature um, occurrence, you know, throughout history. And there and there's a lot to celebrate there. Um, you had a, alluded to earlier the the Jetties Project, or the Battlefield Memorial Gateway Project, Veterans Park that we're working on in the town. That gateway overlooks Crab Island, which represents the Battle of Plattsburgh, and just south to that is Valcor Island which represents the American Revolution. And then back to the parcel of land that we're developing was part of the old Air Force base. So we're calling it the Triangle of History. This region has sent men and women into every conflict that our country has been involved with since the birth of our nation. I mean, that's that by itself should give everyone great pause of reflection. And the occurrences that are you know happening right now we have men and women serving you know and and my philosophy has been and i've been very appreciative that the plattsburgh town board and our team members have adopted and and i don't want to make it about me because it's it's a philosophy that we've all adopted is we want to make sure that we honor them all the town of plattsburgh recently became the first community in the North Country known as what's called a, a Purple Heart Town. Mm-hmm. And we're working with the Clinton County American Legions uh, on that. And, you know, we're doing the, the Hometown Hero banners if you go up. Um, Ruth you know, Reese at them all. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, people might say, oh, well, those are just, you know, those are nice. And to me, it's not just about one singular thing. You know, we should be taking as many opportunities to express um, what our community values are, and that's how we express them by showing appreciation to those people that have stepped forward on our behalf to secure our freedoms. Yeah, no, I think it's great. I, I uh, no, I'd like to go. Like I said, to well, if I can go to the next one, I, I would like to do that. Um, but no, I, I appreciate you opening up about that. Um, the other thing that I know about you, and I don't know if you, I'm assuming you are. Are you Irish? I'm Irish. Okay. Because I, I know you went over to Ireland. The reason I... Do you... Parents from Ireland? Grandparents? Not parents. Grandparents. Grand, great grandparents. You know, keep going. That okay. Way. Yeah. So I'm the same. My, my grandfather, who's... I might get the, the year wrong. I think he's 95 right now. He came over from uh, County Kerry, so the southwest portion of Ireland. Um, I've been lucky enough to go over twice. When I was a kid, I was 14 and 17. So it's been... 12 years since I've been over. Um, I can't wait to bring my kids over, my, my family. Um, I mean, we still have cousins. When we went over, we stayed with, with family. We hung out with family. It wasn't, it wasn't a touristy type vacation. We did a couple things here and there, but we stayed in pretty much lived in County Cary, Killarney for 10 to 14 days. And we saw, I mean, it was just as, it was literally like saying someone's going to go to Plattsburgh if they're going to the United States. Like you're going to see a much more rural country feel. And one of my favorite favorite places on earth is Ireland um, for many reasons. Obviously the fact that when you talk about like kind of like good memories from your lifetime, I think that's something that I'll always look back on that I could go to Ireland twice with my grandfather who now was, I mean, he's not going to unfortunately go back just due to age and stuff, but um, I was able to go over with him when he still had a lot of energy and, you know, saw, saw my, or his siblings, and my cousins, but you could, you know, you get them back with the, the old, 
his old crew and they got the brogue just gets way thicker and you can't understand them. And it's like, grandpa, I've heard you talk for 14 years and why can't I understand you for, you know, 12, 12 days or, or whatever it was. So, um, but I, that's something I always take away is, is probably something I'll really tr- cherish that, you know, was a cool moment. Just obviously you're on vacation, but part of it is you get to, you know, we went to the old homestead where he grew up. We went to, awesome. you know, and a lot of that is you kind of go back and, and you trace your roots back. You know, you could go back to my, great grandparents grave sites and i never met them but you know i've seen pictures i've heard stories and it, it's something that i always thought was really special so i want to kind of hear your experience of going to how many times have you been to ireland uh, so i've been to ireland three times um and the the first <laughs> so the fun the funny story uh is the first time that we went to ireland um my it was kind of a challenge uh, due to my my stepfather, and you know, I'd said before that I'm dyslexic, and I was never I was never an honor roll student. Okay, I wasn't you know a D student, but I just wasn't an honor roll student. And he said to me, "If you make if you make honor roll uh, this term, uh, we'll go ev- we'll go wherever you want." And I always wanted to go to Ireland, and I worked my butt off. I mean, I I just really really worked my butt off and everything just gelled so um i went with my mom my stepfather and my grandmother who um is not she's irish but she's you know she's not um from the the motherland as they might say um so it was an opportunity for her to go and and to you know to learn about family and stuff that was the first time and we had you know done the did the bed and breakfasts and you know did a lot of kind of the touristy uh, things. And then, um, the second time that we went was my wife and I, we had been married and, um, when we got married, we didn't have a big, um, you know, like we, we didn't, we didn't go, we didn't, we didn't have like a, what do you call Honeymoon? it? Honeymoon. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Honeymoon. Yeah. Um, because we, we were students. Mm-hmm. And so a couple of years later, we decided and, and we always wanted to go to Ireland. And actually, um, my wife's uncle is Scottish, uh, actually Scottish. And uh, so um, we went. And one of the things that we did is you can see um, um, we both got clatter rings. Yep. And so. so we exchanged the wedding rings that we had and we renewed our vows there. And, um, to us, it was, um, you know, just a really wonderful experience, uh, to be in a beautiful location. And, you know, these, uh, are, are just a wonderful symbol, um, of our relationship from love, loyalty, and friendship. Um, and more recently, um, we had an opportunity to actually, we went to Paris and Ireland in this last trip, um, and we hadn't been traveling anywhere for a while and it was just one of our favorite places and it just clicked. So we spent, um, four days in Dublin. We didn't really do kind of the traditional thing. Um, but we spent a lot of time there and the, the funniest thing that occurred in this last trip, we just got off the plane, went in, grabbed a bite to eat and a rugby match had let out. And, uh, this guy turns to Olivia and he goes, um, are you know, are you, are you visiting your boyfriend? And she goes, what? 
and uh, because I wear a scally cap uh, often, and and she goes no, and he goes, oh, and he thought that I was there, you know, like I was Irish, and throughout the entire trip, people would often tap me on the shoulder or stop me uh, in you know, the alleyway and stuff, be like, hey, do you have a place, a recommendation for a place to get a drink or for eat and stuff like that? And Olivia thinks it's just hilarious. So uh, we feel at home there. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, for anybody who has not seen you, you look Irish. You got the, you got the red hair, and, and uh, the, I'm sure that you're like me, that you burn fairly oh, easily yes. in the sun. Yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah, the, the coolest thing, I mean, like, again, we stayed more in kind of the countryside. I've been to Dublin. Yeah. We went to the Blarney Stone. The one thing I've never done is gone up around the entire coast which i've that's the bucket list i would i would like to go visit and, and kind of do a circumnavigate the country but um one of the coolest events was we went to a gaelic football match which is kind of this hybrid rugby soccer i i guess i don't know it's an odd sport but it's fun and we went to watch what they call the munster finals which munster is the south the southern portion i guess region of ireland yeah and kind of i get i don't know if that's where munster cheese comes from but it's Right, Munster, yeah, but the, it was a Munster finals and it had Kerry and Cork, who were the big rivals at the time. And Kerry won at the home home turf, so they they won, and then we ended up kind of spilling out onto the streets. Oh, absolutely! And it was the greatest time. I was seventeen at the time, and it was kind of my, I think it was the first time I really fully tested my liver. And uh, but we had a blast, and uh, it was so cool to see everybody like. I mean, and again, they're not drinking a lot of, back then at least, it wasn't a lot of light beer. I mean, you're drinking kind of the, the you know, the pretty pretty hefty beers over there. And it was, it was so fun to see just the amount of people with such passion for, and in a sport that's only, that I know of, only played on the island. You know, nobody, it's not a, it's not a multi-country or, or world sport. And you know, people got the green and gold, they have the, the carry jersey, I have a carry jersey at home. I mean, I... People that know me lo- know I love green. Um, obviously, our logo is all we have shamrocks. I mean, it's just a it's a phenomenal place. I, I, I and it's beautiful. And the fact that they say it rains every day, it is, but it rains just enough to make everything yeah. more green than it already is. And um, yeah, it's it's great. I, I absolutely love it. The first time that my wife and I went, um, besides you know renewing our our vows, um, I was on a mission to get a, a, a hurling stick. And she, I got a ball not a stick, I, I, yeah. and, and, you know, I, I watch the game on YouTube. Like I, I love the game and I'm trying to explain and it for anyone that doesn't know it. Think, you know, um, just the bloodiest hockey sport meets field hockey meets. I mean, it's just with you, no you, protection. Yes. YouTube it folks. It's, it's amazing. It's nuts. Um, and, um, when I was younger, I had played hockey for a while and just, so when I was telling her about this, and we had done kind of, we went down the southern coast and I said, I'm going to get a stick. And, you know, the first time I went to Ireland, I got to play in a pickup game and, you know, I thought it was for, great. For hurling? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the first time that I went. And I'm telling her about this and uh, she's like, okay, okay, okay. And we had, I forget what little tiny corner we had peeled into and I saw this sign and we went on this like 12 mile adventure and right on the roads, like these little tiny, I mean, like sheep and cows, I mean, like, you know, Two ways or one ways. They're basically, yes. I said the one-way roads. Yeah. So we come across this small little shop. And, you know, they're selling all kinds of, you know, apparel and things. And I'm like, listen, I want a hurling stick. And she's like, okay. I mean, I spent, I dropped some good money on it. 
and uh, you still have it at home i still have it yep. at home okay. and um so i was you know we were getting we we're engaging this conversation and such and uh this kid walks in and you know he got a ball or something like that and i'm like is there a game going on? And they're like, oh yeah, down, down around the square and stuff like that. And Olivia re- really had never seen it in action. <laughs> so we drive down uh, and they were, and they were a youth group. So, I mean, it, like I was a, a bit towering and stuff, uh, but it was just, it's, it, it's like people here would play baseball in the backyard. I mean, they just live and breathe it. And it's such a fascinating sport, but it's, uh, it's bloody. <laughs> It's not, it, it, yeah, if, if, if YouTube it, but it's basically lacrosse with a stick, like a, a yeah. flat stick. There's no net. No. Nope. They, and the hand eye coordination is amazing. Then they pop it up and they swing that thing like a golf club or a baseball bat. Yeah. Um, it's insane. They have goalies. So some guy's getting hit with this ball and the ball is not like you're using like this, like tennis ball. It is a full on, it's like somebody whacking a baseball bat with a baseball like at you and you're trying to stop it without a glove. Like, I mean, you're literally just trying to knock this, this damn thing down. Um, and, and, uh, I, I have not seen a hurling match. Gaelic soccer is not as brutal. You can still kind of, you can't, it's not like rugby where you tackle. There's a little yeah. more kind of, I don't know. It's a different style of sport, but hurling to me is crazy. Um, the people that do it, but like you said, you just kind of drive around. There's going to be, you just could drive down the road. They got either soccer going on. They have mm-hmm. hurling, they have Gaelic football, Golf and horsing, horse races. That's yeah. like Ireland to a T. They don't have all the other sports, rugby. They play rugby. So yeah. just seeing it um, in all the sports. And the cool thing is Ireland, I think, geographically is the size of Maine. Very similar in shape. And I think about yeah. the same square or square miles or whatever you want to call it. And it, there's, I believe, is there 26 counties in Ireland? Something like that. It's around 30. Yeah, approximately, I believe. So each county has their own team like so that's like your professional team or your first team is your county which would be like and i guess saying clinton county has a county team that's going to go play you know only or oneida county like that that's the way that it's kind of broken up but they're not professionals the, I know the best. I actually have his. I have his book over there. Um, Colin Cooper. Okay. Um, yeah. And he was a very, very big um, Gaelic football player. And I was went and watched him back in 07 when they won the Munster, and he scored the goal, and he was kind of like their best player. He's a banker, like he's a banker oh, at a local bank. That. Yeah. Okay. So the funny thing about them is none of them are professionals. They play this as a, at a vault, like a volunteer. Um, um, or just like a kid playing youth sports, but they have an actual professional team and they play. And then all the parks are fairly small. It's oh, kind of yeah. like going to, you know, the Plattsburgh State Field. Maybe adding, you know, a little bit more bleachers, but you're kind of doing the same thing. It's kind of like these little sections. And then you go to Croke Park, which is in Dublin, which is, you know, they have concerts and stuff oh, yeah. at. But it's huge. yeah, it's very big, and that's where they always have the all what they call the All Ireland Final. And uh, my grandfather, there's a great photo of my, and again, like I said, he's 95 now, but there's a great photo of him and a couple of his brothers are there and it's a team photo of them at Gaelic football. Now my grandfather's probably, you know, probably high school age, something Mm -hmm. like that. And they're all just kind of lined up and, and luckily for, I mean, he still looks pretty much the same at 95 as he did at, at at 25, you know, just a a little grayer, but he, uh, you know, it's it's so cool to look back at those old photos, but he was part of that. And I remember one of the best moments and we always kind of joke around with him when, you know, and, and, uh, and we go to this monster finals and we're sitting up kind of, I say nosebleeds, but you're not that far up, but you're, you're in the higher level. And somehow he got him and his brother got tickets. They were between both benches, about four rows up from the field. 
like really right in the heart of the action as, as close as you could get. And we joked, we joked around and you, you could see him like over the field and literally you got the players running right in front of them. And, uh, I just, and all of a sudden the game ends, they go out the tunnel. One of like, one of the I don't know, one of our relatives or whatever picked them up right at the door, brought them home. But it was like kind of we were kind of joking around like the VIPs of the thing. Yeah. But of course, my grandfather at the time is in his eighties, yeah. and they're watching this game, and it was so cool to see. But he had obviously played as a child, and of course, every time he goes back, he's like a little kid, get you know, kind of reliving. Oh, yeah. um, and so I just, I, yeah, the hurling is crazy. Um, I I think that my oddest moment going to Ireland. I was fourteen at the time, and we were at a. It was kind of like, it was a music Irish dance music kind of mm-hmm. thing. We went and watched it, and whoever it was was I guess a fairly big Irish dancer at the time. I was little; I didn't really understand who it was, but I remember going to the bar, and of course, my dad and my uncle and a couple of the cousins they would get like you know obviously beer or Guinness or whatever they were drinking, and so I go up and say, "Well, I want a pint of Coca Cola," you know, and so the bartender <laughs> goes up, fills up Coca Cola, about halfway up, and then he stops. I'm like, "What's he doing?" Then he kind of looks over and he winks at me and he goes over and he tops the, the second portion of it up with Guinness. Then he comes over and he slides it over to me. And I remember my dad sitting there looking at me. And of course, I'm 14 at the time. I've never drank in my life. And I go, <laughs> it's got a big head of foam on top. So I'm like, yeah, th- th- this is going good. So then I'll, I just remember my dad saying, don't let your mother see that. So of course, you know, great, great parenting advice from my father. I'll, I'll be doing the same to my son. But so I remember walking back, we got and I have the uh, the glass in my hand. I have my hands kind of like holding it like this. And of course, what, what was my mom going to do when I was 14? Probably nothing. So I'm like scared to death. So I'm walking back to my seat. I have the Guinness Coca-Cola concoction in my hand. I remember sitting down like, and of course my grandfather, 95, has never drank in his life. and oh. Which is an odd thing, but they, what are the uh, teetotalers they call it? But they mm-hmm. took like a, he just, he has never drank. So... So I'm, and still to this day, I don't think I've ever had a drink in front of my grandfather. It's just something kind of like a respect thing. I've just never really um, wanted to do. Maybe at a wedding at, in the last few years, probably. But you know, before that, so I'm sitting there and I'm holding this can or this this uh, pint glass, and I'm sipping at it like this. That was the worst drink I've ever had in my life. <laughs> I, I just remember, and I'm sitting there, and I don't know, again, I, I would probably like to try it now to see how bad it actually tastes, but at 14, beer did not taste good, let alone beer mixed with sugary soda. So uh, I don't know what the bartender was thinking, but I, again, I was 14, could barely stand over the bar at that time, and I just remember him doing that, and then the second time, a couple years later, I went back, and I, I was, I had adjusted a little bit to the, the, the uh, my palate, but I just thought it was kind of a funny thing that... You know, over there, obviously, it's a much more laid-back country in certain aspects. Um, a much more simple country in the sense that... And, and what did you find? I, I think that they're very much 20 years behind us in regards to a lot of things. In regards to... Um, of course, I'm kind of going more for the country, not Dublin. Because Dublin, obviously, is a city. It's probably well, well caught up to everything. But, you know, cars, dress, interior of homes, designs... I remember going to the airport, just the way the, the public facilities were set up was just, I was like a blast in the past kind of thing. Did you ever notice that when you went? So the, la- the last time we went, we did not go to the countryside. So it's been some time since we you know, were in the, in the country uh, portion of it. Um, I, yeah, I would agree from the standpoint that, it w- that it's simpler. Um, but I think that I would say it from the phrase of uh, there, there isn't this this great want for things so there you know people are happy with 
their small thatched cottages and mm-hmm. you know and and mind you not all of ireland is that postcard that we kind of have in our yeah, mind yeah but it, a lot of it is though right a mm-hmm. lot of it is just open fields and greenery and you know uh, uh you know like you'd never get disney to you know build a magic kingdom in ireland because they have real castles you <laughs> know it's yeah, like yeah. you know like truly you, yep. you can you can be driving around and in the back of someone's cottage way in the back mm-hmm. it may be you know falling apart but the remnants of um some of those larger estates are still there mm-hmm. um so yeah, I mean, I think it's a simpler thing, but I think that's also what makes it such a wonderful place. Um, I mean, every time that we've been, we've remarked that the Irish are a very welcoming people, and um, they'll just start chatting you up in all kinds of conversations. You can be sitting in a bar or at a shop or having a meal and the person will turn to you and say, where are you from? What's going on? And, and just start having these casual conversations. And, you know, I I love that. I mean, I think that's just, it's really cool. Um, the second time I went over, we stayed, or both times we went, we stayed in a thatch, we rented like a thatch cottage and, and in the inside, it's normal. You get, you know, it's a, it, everything inside is modern, but the the roof is, you know, what you'd see in a postcard. The outside's kind of that that like stucco design. Yep. Um, a lot of them are just plain white buildings. There's not a lot of, you know, or you go down. And all the shops are very vibrant colors. I mean, a lot of the little shops you have yellows and oranges and blues and mm-hmm. pinks and greens and just you know, and every other one's a bar or or a bed and breakfast. And one of the coolest things is we walk down. Every night we go down to the little pub, the little, and there's a thousand pubs, but you go down to the closest one, you sit down, you have a couple pints of beer, you have, obviously, you know, there's a lot of locals, there's a lot of, a lot of people there, and majority of the time there's somebody playing music, that's mm-hmm. kind of a big thing over there, it's just, you know, it could be simple, it could be someone, you know, just fiddling on a guitar, or a guitar, or a fiddle, or yeah. drums, or someone just singing, but there's always music, and that's one of the cool things about it is live music too, I mean, and then you go into the pubs, they're usually dark, kind of cramped kind of things. There's typically a bunch of random decor. None of them, a lot of them, the true pubs, you got like the, you know, a lot of things made out of wood. You got the yep. wooden posts, you got the wooden bar, yep. you got the wooden tables and stools. And you have, whether it be stickers or bottle caps or tags or whatever, stapled to the wall or jammed to the wall. Like a lot of it's just a very, there's a lot of local flair to all the, all the pubs and, you know, Almost every pub is named after somebody. It's O'Brien's or O'Callahan's or yeah. or Finnegan's or, and uh, it's it's the coolest thing is when you just go by and you just see them and the, the atmosphere in them is always great. And I think that they're kind of one of those, they're one of those people that I still think like if they'd be the people that would beat you up but then pick you off the ground, dust you off, and say, <laughs> "All right, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow." Kind of deal. Like I think that there's a lot of uh, old school mentality to to a lot of those people. But uh, like you said, welcoming. I mean, you can't get more welcoming than the Irish. Yeah. It, it was funny because, so, the the two trips that I've been on with uh, Olivia, both times she's remarked, uh, spending time, um, you know, in Ireland, I, I, I better understand kind of your personality because I think there's like this trait that just kind of sticks with us, right? The Irish are um, ones to, we like some malarkey, we like some snarkery, right? Yep, yep. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'm... Uh, uh, I'm very fluent in sarcasm. So uh, the other part to it is, and, and it was fascinating because just having some lots of conversations, you know, we we have a, a very unique type of personality. 
Um, there's a certain stoic personality, but there's also a, we can hold our grudges, you know, too, I think. And um, so, but the, the funniest part of it was the first trip that we were on, there was an unexpected warm spell there. And uh, that was about like, I don't know, it was like 75 or 80. I mean, not terribly warm, but pretty warm for Ireland during the season mm-hmm. that we had gone. And Olivia turns to me, she goes, your people are melting. <laughs> yep. And because we're all fair skinned and she goes, now I understand why everybody goes into bars. It's because it's dark and dank in there. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, I took a photo. I, I don't have my phone with me, but um, I was at a house the other day and the coolest thing was like a bottle opener, but on the sign it said, it said pub, the Irish is the Irish sunscreen. Yeah. Which is, and I took a picture of it. I'm like, yep. that is the funniest thing ever. Cause it's true. And I, um, all, any of my friends know me, I'm not a sun person. I love the last couple of days we've had beautiful weather, but it is basically borderline too hot for me right now. And we're probably looking at about 80 degrees. Yep. I feel very comfortable. I'm a moderate guy. I'm a 40 to 70 degree guy. I could live in a hoodie and either jean or uh, yeah, like pants, hoodie or light jacket. 365 days of the year. Ditto. Yeah. I don't want to be in shorts and a tank top and sandals and I don't want to be bundled up in a parka. And I think my friends think I'm crazy that I don't want to lay out on the beach or to me, like going on, going down to like a Caribbean Island, like that's cool for like a half hour and then I'm sweating and I, the humidity is getting to me and the sun, I'm getting a headache and I'm burning. I'm like, let me go anywhere else. Let me go to a museum. Let me go to, you know, (laughs) Ireland where it's going to rain every day and I'm totally fine with jumping through puddles. Um, that is way more relaxing. And I guess kind of an, in my element and that's i think 100 percent my irish coming through because there's not a lot of tan people in my mother's side of the family yeah we don't tan we freckle i, I mean that's maybe the yeah. best we get <laughs> I, I i always like i always tell people if i'm tanning i'm like people say i want my base tan i'm, like, I'm giving my base burn yeah and then i'll tan after i'm like once i get through the burn and the aloe and all that yeah. so yeah. um yeah there's not enough spf 50 that's going to help me out um so also wanted to touch upon this was kind of a, this threw me for a loop when I first asked you about this. And this is kind of the one thing that, that made me, I, I think, become a, a Cashman fan. Uh-oh. I, we were talking about um, your love of coffee. And what I want to kind of, t- and I shouldn't say love of coffee, I should say necessity or, or your, your fuel. Um, when I had asked you something about coffee, you're like, yeah, I drink a lot of coffee. And I go, okay, well, how many cups a day? And I think you responded with two, two pots. And I go, I said, no, I mean like cups, like like mugs or whatever. And you're like, no, 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 two like pots of coffee. So, for people that don't, well, a couple questions. Tell <laughs> tell us. I want to know how you got because I love coffee and I I, I kind of nerd out on a lot of things with coffee. And if I had more time, I would be one. If I had a lot of time, I would love to open a coffee roasting place because yeah. I I do love coffee. But tell me how you got when you started drinking coffee. Who got you in the coffee? <laughs> And how much coffee you drink a day? Um, because as we're talking right now, you have a coffee, and we're going on eight o'clock at night. Yeah. So, so give us your, give and, us all things coffee, and I'm pr- probably gonna get another one on the way home. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, you know, my coffee consumption, you know, um, really just depends on if I can get it in me. I mean, I'll I'll drink coffee all day. Um, I, so I do I do rounds in the morning with my department heads, and uh, they they have learned they learned quickly um, to allow for a coffee cup to be in my hand for first engagement. Um, I have a grumpy uh, cup um, that my wife gave me, 
a little bit of a curmudgeon in the morning, but we're both that way. We both grunt at each other until we've had our first cup of coffee. But I mean, uh, you're talking the pour over, the French press, uh, the percolator, the K-cups. I'm not a huge fan of the K-cups, um, largely because I don't like the waste that it, it produces. And I also don't think it produces that great of a cup of coffee, honestly. Yes, thank you. Um, I agree. So if I can get it in me, and, and honestly, I love the taste of coffee, but not to be disparaging, I don't understand the people that are like, oh, I'm I'm drinking um, um, decaf. Why? Thank you. Why? Thank you. Yep. I, I, I just, I, it's not a concept that my mind is able to uh, yep. uh, to connect around. The, the earliest time that I can probably identify that I began drinking coffee was maybe 12 or 13. Okay. Yeah. Um, not to the level that I'm doing now. And, and largely it was, I'd come home from school and like I said, my grandfather worked the night shift and it was, it was an opportunity to kind of connect with him and he'd be kind of getting ready and going for the day and he'd pour himself a cup of coffee and he'd fill his big thermos. And, you know, I kind of got like the, the spillover, like the, you know how, like when you pour a cup in a thermos, you may not just have enough left over. Mm-hmm. So I probably wasn't getting like a full on cup of coffee back then. Um, my grandmother was a waitress in uh, Plymouth, Mass for a number of years. One of my kind of fondest memories, you know, of, of her in that role back then was going into a place called the Mug-A-Muffin and getting a mug. And, you know, and that's where, like, I, I began to learn the, the value of a nice, heavy-weighted mug. Uh, one of my favorite places to get coffee today because of that experience is Gus's. Uh, they have that same kind of like nice weight, uh, you know, I know, the one, the, I know what you're talking about, Yeah, you know, and, and the waitresses are fantastic because they're always topping off your coffee. Like, you know, you get like three sips in and it's like, need a refresh. Yes. <laughs> need to heat it up. Yep. <laughs> um, and yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I, I could drink it all day long. I'm a, I'm not a fan of some of the more acidic coffees, um, but yeah, I'll, I'll I'll try it all. When's your first cup? I mean, upon waking, I'm assuming. Yeah, but you, yeah, usually within probably about half hour uh, of of getting up in the morning. Um, I'm not as good as I used to be about brewing my own first cup of coffee. I've I've kind of slacked to be honest, um, just because I'm trying to get going in the morning and and I like. And this really kind of came from the role as town supervisor. I go to Dunkin' Donuts uh, pretty much every day. And like I said, I don't have many vices and and I don't spend a lot of money on stuff. And that's the one area. And one of the reasons that I like going to Dunkin' Donuts is there's some of these, the regulars, right, Mm -hmm. that you bump into. Uh, There's a couple of of guys from the veteran groups and Honor Flight and a number of these guys and and, and gals as well that that I interact with. So... I think it makes me a more responsible human being in the morning because I know I'm dependent on someone giving me a good cup of coffee. <laughs> well, you also told me too, you, the first, at least your first cup of coffee, you never go through the drive-thru. You always go in. Yeah, I always go in. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Unless, I, unless I have a meeting, mm-hmm. um, I go in and um, it, and, it, and it, it just it kind of flips the switch into, okay, you're on. You need to be, yeah. you need to act as a human being. <laughs> well, and, and probably for you, it's good. It's good. Um, market research i guess because you get to go in and you know like i said you're going in to see people that Mm -hmm. are going to talk to you and it's good to kind of keep the pulse on you know meeting people but the one thing i find i started drinking coffee regularly meaning probably every morning i think when i was 16 and it had to do 
we would start off by going every Sunday after church. We would go to the the home or the Shazy Homestead for breakfast without fail every Sunday. My grandparents would go, and my grandpa always drink coffee. My grandma would drink coffee. My mom would drink coffee. And it wasn't until I started to get a little bit older that it was like, can I try it? Can I, I want to try it. I want to get a cup of coffee. So I remember my grandfather as I was, and, and he didn't do this his whole life, so this was later on in life, but um, that he, I got a cup of coffee, and he tells me as I'm putting cream in, he goes, don't put sugar in it. It will kill you. He told me that when I was, I think, 14 was when I first had my first like cup of coffee. And to this day, I've never put sugar in my coffee. And then what happened was at 16, I started getting it regularly, meaning I'd get it on Sundays every time I go. And now um, it progressed high school. I'd get it every day, college 100%. And now it's just like multiple, multiple, multiple every day. But I find there's a couple things that I love the taste of coffee. I don't know if I really necessarily need some, well, I ne- now as a parent, I need it more. I do need it for the caffeine a little bit, but, um, the, the couple things I like about coffee is one, I love the taste of coffee. It, it's kind of like, to me, it's, it's like a, um, it's like a comfort thing. Mm-hmm. Like just having a cup of coffee there, whether it's driving in the car, passing time while I'm doing stuff or just relaxing. Um, some of my favorite moments, and I don't get to do this too often is, Typically on a weekend, if I have some time, I will wake up early. I'll try to wake up still early on the weekends before people get up, yeah. brew, brew a pot of coffee, sit down and read and drip and drink coffee. It's just a calming, like relaxation kind of thing. But I think the best part about coffee is it is very much a conversational tool, meaning like the amount of time that I will, I would much rather you can ask me to breakfast, <clears throat> lunch, dinner, whatever. If you ask me to go drink coffee with you, that is my most fun because you don't have to worry about anything else. You get a cup of coffee and you can just talk. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said about it takes people in a crazy busy lifestyle to sit down with a nice hot mug and just converse over coffee. It's such a pure, simple act or or thing that you can do. But it, I don't know why I love that so much, but... I just love sitting down and talking to people while we're both sipping on coffee. Did, did you know there's a psychology, okay, about sharing a cup of coffee with people that when people hold the mug or the cup or the vessel, you know, whatever, however you want to call it, uh, with warm coffee and people have, a, have a, a conversation exchange that they're more likely to build a bond with one another. And they're more likely to uh, share a little bit deeper. And the reason that is is the psych- the way the psychology works is the warmth from the cuff the cup gets transmitted to your hands, and that kind of kind of it, it, uh, is absorbed into your into your being. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times when you see some of these um, interviews that they do uh, on TV, uh, the reason that they've given somebody. Uh, a mug or a cup of coffee is the kind of muscle memory of you know that feeling that you get when you hold a mug and yeah I mean like there there really is something behind that oh I didn't know that yeah. um I, I guess like I said just through experience like that's one of my f- my favorite things to do is like usually if I want to meet with somebody like if it, it depends on the situation but like hey let's go to go to Starbucks or come like again I like people coming here. I we have a Keurig just for convenience yep. purposes. I hate. I, I'm not a Keurig fan. Like I, I'm, I'm looking at a. I would like to get like an actual pot that I could like yeah, make. I um, but the the other thing the other day is I, I got someone on kind of a goose chase for me. But um, Champies, you know, like the little convenience store down uh-huh. by Weed Street. Yeah, they have a cold brew 
um, dispenser. Oh, so nice. if you go in there and it's not bad cold brew and it's probably like the, the to be honest, the cheapest cold brew in town, you go up, you pull the, uh, the tap and it, you have black and you have one with cream in it. Yeah. I want to get one at the office. So I want to get a, a cold brew dispenser. Cause right now I'm on like a cold brew kick just because yeah. of the heat. But I want to get one where I at all times of the day, and I kind of look at it as one, it's going to save me time and it's going to save me. I don't know if it'd save me money. It might be more expensive, but it would definitely save me time because I wouldn't have to worry about going and driving there. Yeah. I can just run out, grab it, or on my way passing through to go out on an appointment, I can just pour yeah. cold brew. Love it. Um, so I got to find out because I think you can get the machine they have for free, but you have to hit a certain amount of coffee per um, per month that you have to order. And I think it ends up being something crazy. We're at the point where you might be able to do it. Maybe. <laughs> um, I would be nowhere close. And I've even talked about getting it and just like telling people like, if you want cold brew, just walk into yeah. our office, bring whatever you want, pour whatever you want and head out. I'll tell you right now, uh, in the meantime, get a French press. I, I have one at just, my house. Just, yes. Just, Oh, I mean, you mean I, to make, to make cold brew uh, either or, I mean, I, I, I have a French press at the office mm. that I use, you know, because if I want something a little bit stronger and I've, you know, got the time, I'll, you know, I'll, and you can even use the Keurig for the hot water and then just yeah. put, put that okay. in. Um, I'll set it, forget it, you know, go to a meeting, um, you know, or, or do some, you know, go check the mail, things like that. 15 minutes, put it down and yeah. Well, do you know how to make cold brew with mm-hmm. that? Yep. Um, so I, I was actually going to do that tonight because that's something, cause most of the mornings I get up, I get up and I'm out the door within five minutes. Cause usually like I try it in the morning, I try to go to the gym early. So I wake up at five, I'm usually out the door by five, five, well, I work, I, my alarm goes off at five. I hit the snooze. I'm up at five Oh nine. I'm out the door by five fifteen. So uh-huh. about a six minute I'm, I'm one, like I, I pack everything the night before. So literally I go in change and I literally walk out the door. So I haven't been getting making coffee. That's why weekends are like my thing where I can sit down I even, I even like roasting my own coffee. I have a personal roaster. Have you ever roasted your own coffee and had it? That I have not done. So the one thing about that, and I've people have, that have listened to this know I've talked about this a bunch. But if you take, I have a like a basically a personal size roaster. You roast the beans up, you grind the beans, and then you brew coffee like that. It is the best tasting tasting coffee because the rule of thumb that I was told from a roaster when I bought the beans, unroasted beans look like little peanuts. Yeah. So they're, they're very, very similar in color, very similar in size and, and, and um, texture. What happens is once you heat up the bean, whatever it does, it emits the gases or whatever, and it kind of blows up into that, that typical commercial bean that you see in you know, a Dunkin' Donuts commercial, whatever, that, sure. whole, that whole bean. So what they said is that a cup, of, a, gr- a cup of or ground coffee is good for two weeks before it kind of starts losing its flavor or, or the power of its flavor. Whole beans last two months and non-roasted beans last two years. And so it's kind of cool. Like you can buy it from, and most places around here, don't you either buy it online or, you know, you can go to Burlington to, um, uh, uh, oh my God, it's on church street. I always forget the name of it. Second. No, whatever. You go to this place on church street. It's a little shop. It'll come to me before the, the, <laughs> before this is done. Somebody's probably listening, like screaming in the phone, but it, or, uh, the microphone, but the, that you can buy it there, but if you can try that, it's really cool yeah. to roast your own coffee. So I'm looking at, I'm not good with the espresso. I got to work on doing the the espresso things. And I was actually told by um, a local guy that he has this Japanese branded machine that brings coffee. But what happens is it 
it heats the coffee up much hotter than like a Mr. Coffee thing. Yep. And I, th- I want to say it's not boiling because boiling is what, 212, 212 degrees? I think so. So I think it's just below that. I think it's like 200 or something. And the reason why the better coffee shops have a, a stronger roast is be- a lot of it has to do with the heat at which they roast or the- which they have the water filtered yep. through. So I'm looking at getting one of those. Now it is fairly expensive. It's not like going to buy like a $30 machine at, at Target or something. Um but it goes into like one of those double insulated stainless steel and it keeps it. And it, that's the other thing. It doesn't heat from the bottom. You pour it in and it self-regulates like a French press. It self-heats itself. And he said it's the best way to roast a co- or to have coffee. So I'm looking at getting one of those most likely here that I can, you know, put whatever the water is and it, yep. it self-heats it up and then and goes through that way. So, um, so okay, back to... <laughs> I, we can go on a coffee. This whole podcast could have been coffee, to be honest. Um, how much? So throughout the day, you said you drink. When you say pots of coffee, that that's not an exaggeration. It, it, it honestly can be pots of coffee. I mean, really, it, it has to do with um, if I can get it in me. You know what I mean? Like, do you drink water throughout the day? I drink a lot of seltzer water. Yeah, I'm the same. You know, that's that's probably my bigger thing. I dr- I don't I do not drink enough water as to what I should. Do you um, get headaches from the coffee? Uh, I get more like dehydration headaches. Yeah, I, you know, from time to time, but, you know, it's kind of an, an ongoing thing. Um, the thing is, iced coffee, I never get, I don't know if it's because of the ice maybe melting throughout, but I never get like a dehydration from iced coffee. It's hot coffee that usually, I after a certain amount, I'm kind of like, okay, I gotta. Even in the hottest days, my preference would be to, to have a hot coffee though. Uh, like I'm not, a, I'm not actually a huge cold brew iced coffee fan mm-hmm. um you know like, like i was saying on the way back i'll pr- I'll probably get another hot cup of coffee uh, i got some paperwork that i need to do, do tonight um but i can drink coffee so when i used to work at the college i was the advisor for student government just to put it in perspective and i would go back to the campus and the meeting would start at 10 15 at night okay so i often was not home until like 1 1 30 and I would have a cup of coffee with me around 10 o'clock and I could go home and go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm, I'm just very fortunate right now still <laughs> that I can drink a cup of coffee 20 minutes before going to bed. And it, and it, I, I'm, I'm very much the same. One of my f- absolute favorite things to do is after when you go out to like, if you go out to dinner with people and stuff like that, when most people are getting dessert, my favorite thing is to get a cup of coffee at yeah. the end of a meal when I go out. So if I go, my favorite place is uh, Latitude because they actually have the individual French presses, yep. uh, Latitude 44. Uh, but, you know, Iris's, uh, Anthony's, any place that would serve um, coffee at the end of a meal, I get more excited for that. And I have a couple of friends that now have kind of got on that kick. So if we all go out to dinner on a big table, I start seeing other people start ordering coffee. But the same thing, like it'd be eight o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night, and we're finishing up the meal, and, and I will get a cup of coffee. It's kind of like a settler a little bit, even though I don't know if it settles my stomach, but it's just kind of that comfort thing. And I'll go home and go to bed. Do you like for, Irish coffee? Um, I mean, I will drink it, yes. But um, <laughs> if you have, if to. I have to, I mean, if someone was pulling my arm, you know. But I, I, uh, I'm, I don't put a lot of stuff in my coffee, like the even coffee, like. The stuff at Starbucks, if I go to Starbucks and get, I'm more of a Starbucks guy than Dunkin'. I just find that the, I like the, I guess the strong, the stronger taste of it, but I'm getting black coffee or I'm getting an Americano yeah. or I'm getting 
cold brew or I'm getting 90% of the time it's black and my my indulgence I guess with coffee is that I love heavy cream in coffee. Okay. So if I get you take any of the you know coffee, cold brew or americano, which americano is just yeah. basically hot water over an espresso, I will get that with heavy cream and that is my absolute favorite. Cuz I don't do it every day. That's more of like maybe on vacation or maybe kind of like a random weekend thing I'll get it just as you know kind of a, a yeah. treat. Um but man, it is it is good. It is like I don't know. I, it, for some reason, it's like we went back to that. It's like that comfort, definite enjoyment factor. But c- coffee's like a powerful little little tool, drug, whatever you want to call it, in a good way. Oh, it is. You know, it's funny you say the thing about your grandfather and the and the sugar. My grandfather always taught me learn to drink your coffee black. You know, and and then you know the statement was like anything else is cream in the coffee type thing, and um, so I can definitely drink coffee black. I, you know, I like some of the flavors and so on and so forth. Um, I don't put cream or milk in it. I've been putting um, almond milk mm-hmm. in uh, the iced coffees lately just to kind of cut it. But I, the one company that I buy the whole beans from is Tim Hortons. I love Tim Hortons. Coffee. Do you go to the one on campus? No, I order direct from the company. Okay. <laughs> and I, I actually... Um, have some friends um i actually worked with they have a volunteer arm it's called the children's foundation and i had an opportunity to bring some students up to canada to their camps uh twice and we did some volunteerism and made some connections so i buy the the beans wholesale from them but i find that they're one step up from dunkin donuts and they're one down from Starbucks. They're not as acidic, but mm-hmm. they're still as strong. So I'm not a Starbucks guy. No, t- t- Tim Hortons is very good. I, the the two right now that I'm uh, that I'm roasting at the house, or I say roasting, but the ones that I have like whole beans from yep. is Aaron's in his son's company, Acceptance Coffee, which Love it. It, it's phenomenal. Love it. Um, and that, that's another one that uh, I actually saw Ace this past weekend. And, you know, I, I love the, the the story behind that and the the mission statement of that company, I think is, we talked about it before, is phenomenal. Um, and I, I'm kind of a big, I mean, we got the mugs here. I usually have a bag usually lying around somewhere, you know, more, more like I've had podcasts where we've done the video and I've had his stuff out, you know, I got, I got a shirt and all this, but, um, and besides the story behind it, that, which is phenomenal, the coffee's really good too. So, yeah. um, and then this other place called Park Brothers, which is a company over in Potsdam area. Okay. And it's a local company. Uh, their social media account is very good. They, um, it's very professionally done, but the coffee's phenomenal. And the girl that works with me, I don't know if you've met Ellie yet. Um, and she was at the the forum, but next time I'll introduce you to her. She used to work there um, back in the day, and she got me hooked on it. So she bought me a bag when she went out and visited family back um, kind of a little bit more Western New York, and that one's very good too. So I try to yeah. kind of with like, I guess, the local matters theme, I try to get the local roasters. Uh, Vermont, Coffee, Vermont Coffee Company too, they sell it at Hannaford's by the bag, but they have some really good whole bean yeah. coffee too. I'm also a huge fan of Stewart's coffee. I think is great. Um, That's and, what I kind of grew up drinking. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I love Stewart's coffee. If I'm uh, traveling around the country and I'm looking for a quick cup of coffee, I, I mean McDonald's, Newman's, it's you know, Newman's Own or whatever it is, yep. is a, a pretty good cup of coffee for the value of it and stuff like that. I was going to say for for a dollar or whatever they sell it yeah, for. Yeah, absolutely. It's probably the best thing going. I, uh, I that that one, yeah, for sure, and. 
um, what was the one you said right before McDonald's? Uh, Stewart's. Yeah, Stewart's. So when I was growing up, like in Shay Z, we had nothing but Stewart's coffee. Like you weren't getting Dunkin' Donuts unless you drove to Plattsburgh or I think Champlain. Um, so that would be, I still get Stewart's coffee more for nostalgia. Yep. Like it's still, I, li- I like it, but there's times I just like, you know, I just really want to get a Stewart's coffee today because for some reason that's kind of what I grew up drinking in high school and, and in college. Have you ever been to a Wawa's? Yes. Wawa's. Wawa's down in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's that's another, you know, I mean, like we said, we could go on for, for hours. Yes. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll cut the coffee talk. But that, that the Wawa's, Wawa's just in general is a legit store. Yes, it if is. You've been in, if anybody's been to a Wawa, it's kind of like a, it's not like a Wegmans. A Wegmans is like, is on steroids. But a Wawa's, take like a convenience store and put that on steroids. It, there's a lot of selection yeah. there. You could, you could pretty much grocery shop at Wawa's. Um so, Mike, I want to get you out of here because I want you to get some more coffee and do your paperwork. But uh, two things I want you – three things. I'm going to ask you three quick questions. You can answer these as short or long as you want. But what is the coolest moment that you've had since being supervisor? So in the last four years, what's kind of the – it could be – I guess just, I'm just going to leave it as the coolest moment. You can define coolest for us. Wow. I uh... – Great question. Um, it's kind of a simple question. I'm not, I'm not too elaborate, but yeah, that's... you know, I it's almost it's almost too tough because there's too many categories. Um, but I'll I'll just I'll kind of lay the net in a very generic um, experience. There's been some opportunities to engage in some really unique conversations with some people that would have never occurred if I, I just weren't in, you know, wasn't in the role. And, um, and I'm not talking about members of Congress. I'm not talking about, you know, governors or elected officials just because when you're the town supervisor, um, a lot of times people will tap me on the shoulder and, and engage in a conversation. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they're not about a specific issue or concern. It's just, you know, people, more people know me, you know, mm-hmm. then I know sometimes people in the community just because you're, you're in the newspaper on the news or whatever. And, um, I've had some really cool conversations and, uh, pretty transformational. Cool. And, and second one is what is, I guess the, I'll put this again as kind of a very broad up term. Who, who, what is the coolest person that you've met because of the role? And now I'm assuming politician, but this could be something else. I mean, so what is kind of like maybe one of the a person that you met, they were like, that was really cool to meet that person. Coolest person. Hmm. I wasn't sure. I, I, figured, I, I was thinking yeah. someone would just jump out at, like, it, it, definitely this no, person. They're, but. They're, these are really, they're really good questions. I think part of it is, um, there, I've been for, you know, I've been really fortunate to have a number of those interactions where it's just been like, you know, kind of, th- th- there's just the wow factor. It's in yeah. the sense of having some of those conversations, some of those conversations. Um, something that probably quickly that comes to mind are, um, some of the, um, the, uh, I think, it, I think it was the, the general consulate, um, for Canada, um, was in the region and being able to have that exchange with somebody that is from another country, but talking about politics, talking about the cross border. Um, it was just a really neat interaction. 
you know, um, brief, but just really neat. Okay, perfect. And the third thing, we're going to end here. Give us, give us an ending quote. Could be your favorite quote. Could be something that just popped up the other day. Give, give, give us something that we can, we can sign off with. What have you learned today? There we go. All right. So, uh, Mike, I appreciate you coming on, um, especially on, on, a, on a Friday evening. Uh, this, this was actually very fun. So I've always, always um, I haven't known you, I guess, too long or too well, but um, I've, I've, I admire what you've been able to do. And I think, you know, you're one of the, one of the people that is leading us forward and fighting the good fight. And, uh, you know, like I said, if anybody, um, like I said, can, can listen to this, um, support uh, Mike and the things they do, I think, I think, you are uh, a very important figure going forward in Plattsburgh's, um, I guess, current history. So, um, again, thanks for all that you do. And, again, th- thanks for coming on. This was fun. Appreciate the time. Let's have coffee soon. Awesome. All right. And so for episode 38, that is Michael Cash Money Cashman and, and uh, Galen. So we will see you all next week. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley Show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling, G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.